Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and this week, it is our seventh annual Macrofab Star Wars Christmas special, where your host, electrical engineers Stephen Craig and Parker Doman. Our guests this year uh, are Josh Roser. Hey, guys. Chris Kraft. Hey. And Hyron. That's the spirit. You'll be celebrating life day before you know it. Josh Roser is a business intelligence and data analytics professional for a large East Coast insurance monolith. In his spare time, Roz spends his time building and tweaking guitar amplifiers and pedals and is the co-owner of Empire Engineering with Steven. Chris Kraft is a tinkerer currently working as a software engineer in the financial services industry and has an extensive background in 3D printing and building anything that seems interesting. Hyron is a systems engineer and a hardware hacker of Anot XOR, a group that builds electronic badges for conferences and designs embedded system puzzles. Star Wars episode chat GPT-3 Rebel Codebreakers, a Star Wars story. In a galaxy far, far away, a group of skilled engineers and software developers form a secret team within the Rebel Alliance, dubbed the Rebel Codebreakers. These rebels use their expertise in electrical engineering and software development to help the rebels fight against the evil empire. The team is led by Hyron, a chief information security officer with extensive experience in hacking and a talent for leadership. He is joined by Roz, a talented data analyst who has a knack for decoding imperial transmissions. Steven, an electrical engineer who specializes in slicing analog hardware. And Chris Kraft, a software developer with a talent for coding. Together, the Rebel Codebreakers use their skills to decode imperial transmissions, hack into imperial databases, and sabotage imperial technology. Steven's expertise in slicing analog hardware allows the team to infiltrate imperial systems that are not connected to the galactic network, giving them a strategic advantage over the Empire. But as the rebellion gains momentum, the Empire becomes increasingly aware of the Rebel Codebreakers' activities. Will the Rebel Codebreakers be able to outsmart the Empire and help bring freedom to the galaxy? Or will the Empire's Codebreakers prevail? So that is an opening crawl for a Star Wars movie I had chat GPT-3 write for us. And we're basically going to, through this podcast, um, go through an entire Star Wars script that I had the AI write for us. Should be a lot of fun. (laughs) So periodically we're going to pause and I guess we're going to be playing characters and going through the story. Yeah, so I have um, there's I, like I had it write a script hour. with I fed everyone's like job descriptions into it, and it came up with a script with four characters, and y'all will play the characters. I'll be the narrator. Um, Wait, what did it say I did again? Uh, you data were, analytics. Yeah, data analytics with a knack of decoding imperial transmissions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you do every day for your day job. Sounds like a raise. (laughs) By the way, tomorrow at work, I'm going to change my my title to uh, Slicer. Slicer? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So everyone here, Hyron, Steven, Roz, and and Chris, they have never seen the script. That was the first time I ever told them about, like, when I was, the synopsis of the story is that opening crawl. Um, 
This is like a table read for the for the next Star Wars sequel. Yeah. You know, it couldn't be any worse than episode nine. Right? <laughs> you know what? I would I would watch this we'll over all episode get hired nine. Again. By Disney. Oh, I, yeah. This, Disney's listening in. Oh, these are really great ideas. Write that down. <laughs> all right. So, um, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is latest in Star Wars media. Um, it's kind of like gossiping about what came out since last episode, which was episode 307, which was actually around this time last year. I think it was like December 16th or something. And this is December 13th. Um, yeah, I think the last Mandalorian season had already released, right? At, it had just point, wrapped we up were talking a lot about and that. the week, yeah. the week after that episode, the book of Boba Fett came out. Yep. Really? I thought the book of Boba Fett was last year. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It came out like December between 20th something. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Cause we didn't talk about it last time. No, that, that was in our, that was in our, what we're looking forward to was book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Actually, uh, I just looked it up um, February 9th of 22. So it came out two months after the podcast. You sure it was? That's not when it ended. Uh, first episode date, February okay. 9th, 2022. For some reason. The oh, one- sorry. I'm my bad. I read that backwards. Final episode was February 9th. The first was December 29th. My bad. Yeah. I had those. I had it backwards in my mind. So uh-huh. very, very end of the year is when the first episode of Boba Fett came out. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, what? Uh, since then, the Book of Boba Fett show came out, Obi Wan Kenobi show came out, and Andor came out. No movies came out. Um, is there any other media? I think there was a couple books that came out, but I haven't gotten to them yet. Yeah, there was. There was several books, but I don't. I only read the Thrawn books or listen to the Thrawn books through the Audible. So I know there's a pile of books, but. I'm only aware of the Thrawn ones. Yeah, I think Disney's always pumping out like smaller, like Star Wars. Well, they were you know, pushing features. their High Republic series. It's so those books had had come out, but I don't. I, I don't know. I I think they're not doing well because all I could all I remember is hearing someone comment about a force sensitive rock being a character or something like that. I. And um, yeah. but like a fo- I, like a like a pet rock or like the thing from like a boulder, the Fantastic the Four thing from Fantastic Four. <laughs> no, 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 like a bold, just a rock. Like it's just a rock. I tried. We, we haven't exhausted that much of Star Wars, have we? Cool. And I'm probably wrong about that, but that's the way it's been described to me. Is it's I guess a, they were taking bong rips when they were writing the, <laughs> that series over it. So what if, what if at the end of episode eight, it wasn't the kid who was force sensitive, but the broom was force sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> and it was mind controlling the kid to clean. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that broom's the chosen one. <laughs> no, I, I tried listening to those new audible books of it and it's, they're meant for teenagers. It's it's Star Wars Twilight Edition. Um, well, then a talking rock fits perfectly well with that then. It, I struggled. Um, though their side audiobook where they tried to bridge episode eight and nine of the movies, I, and I ranted about it before, it was actually good. Like, I really like that. It's just their new series that's the 
yeah it's like they're weird western they're like oh hey we're just growing up we're 16 let's venture out in the world kind of thing you're like eh, not mine not for me well a- according to um uh was a star wars fan site i'm not a oh, wikipedia sorry this is wikipedia it looks different than the regular Where is wikipedia. That? I need uh four sensitive stones were native to uh qui-gon Jinn's home planet and he actually had some they were like you know keepsakes for him was that his dice so he was a slave trader is what you're telling me <laughs> when, uh, but actually the one thing though that's interesting about that is does that mean that midichlorians are not organic uh does that mean that they're not like a biological feature hmm yeah it seems it seems to be some continuity gaps in the um the old oh, force star wars and there. and Plot holes? Who would have thunk? <laughs> yeah, those don't exist. That's your sister. Man, it feels so long ago because I'm trying to remember Book of Boba Fett and I, I, I watched, Book of I Boba Fett started like, good God, four months ago. Um, my opinion still stands. Like it didn't stick with me. Like oh my god, I want to rant on people to watch it, but it was good. I'm like, hey, it's how you got out of the Sarlacc pit. Um. You have my heart torn between going back and forth where I'm like, I hate Tusken Raiders. I'm like, oh, I actually like Tusken Raiders. I'm like, they, I, I have feels for these yeah. folks now. Um, and I understand why you are such a curmudgeon now. And Danny Trejo is the best goddamn cameo of that series. Yeah. Rancor Handler <laughs> is the role he was meant to play. The one thing I... I kept hoping that they would show what the sand people look like. You know, like I thought there was going to be a scene where take off their stuff. But then I was torn because I was like, well, I'm kind of happy they didn't because it kind of keeps that mystery. Yeah. But I was, but watching Book of Boba Fett, I kept thinking, well, it, it's less of part of them and more like a, like they, it's not clothing because it's more than that. It's it's a cultural thing, but still, you think eventually they'd take it off, you know. Um, so I I had hoped for a reveal, but we didn't get one. I think the only thing I remember then from Book of Boba Fett is that's where then they spent all that time building the the hot rod, which wasn't even Boba Fett. I mean, uh, that, that was Mandalorian was, season Mandalorian, two and a half. Yeah. Which is my yeah. biggest complaint. Which about I'm not that. complaining. See, that's about my biggest complaint. Because, <laughs> that show. Oh, because I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, who cares? It's like to me, Boba Fett. I never had the the, the attachment, which is probably strange because, like, I was of the generation where you couldn't even buy the Boba Fett miniature or whatever. The you had to save. You had to buy enough other Star Wars figures. And then cut out the little things and then send them to Kenner or whatever. And then they would mail you a Boba Fett in the mail. And um, and I have one in my set, but I was always like, yeah, whatever. You know, I just, I, I never understood like how people were so obsessed with the character. So, so I was happy to, to uh, see more of Mando. And I, I like the interaction with the, with the, new new republic or whatever you want to call them the the police 
the, the X-wing uh, cops. Yeah, that part was good. <laughs> so I, I like how like he hit it, and then he's like, "We didn't," you know, because they just assumed he went to hyperspace and was like, "Nope, that's just regular speed." I think the first half of Book of Boba Fett is fantastic. The the coming to of Boba Fett. Uh, minus the whole Power Rangers on uh, Vespa speeder things, Mods. like uh, yeah. I, I oh, yeah. it, those those were terrible. But the the whole him with the the Tuscan Raiders and doing the whole like train heist thing and uh, and him coming to power in in the adjacent town, fantastic. And then it got real rocky. The second half of Boba Fett is just yeah. it's it's, it's, it's like it feels all over the place something. to me. Oh, yeah. you didn't like CG Luke. It was better than the first time. Um, yeah. At least seeing them train and go through the whole, hey, at I'm going to give you a choice, yeah. chainmail or Yoda's mini lightsaber. What do you want? Make a choice. Like, <laughs> yeah, at least which, that part I liked because to me, it telegraphed how awful of a teacher Luke is and why it all went to hell. Because like he is still like trying to deal in absolutes you know you have to have this or this you gotta do this or this and then obviously you know baby Yoda or Grogu leaves but when I imagine the same situation happening with Kylo Ren where he's like you need to go hang out with your dad or you can learn and what happens guy turns into a psychopath you know so it's like maybe Luke should just give up on teaching people and uh and do something else, you know, make artwork or something, laser or, you know, lightsaber art. He does. He goes drinks green milk on an island. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they are really setting him up to uh, where teaching is not his gift, right? Yeah. Or, or teaching or leading even small groups of, of people. Yeah, he's a lone wolf. You know, they... they the, the one thing oh, about the mods, just I wanted to mention is it kind of perpetuates and I've seen the same thing in Obi-Wan and, and in Andor is scenes of people building or fixing things using tools that are massively wrong sized for the task like those <laughs> mods like he's in her belly and he's got this thing it looks like a you know a ratchet you know and it's just like this giant tool and he's in there digging around and and then and um in near the end of andor there's a scene where a kid's like building a circuit and he's got this giant like wood burning sized uh soldering iron and you're just like that would not be the right tool for that job so i've noticed it throughout the series that anytime anyone's fixing something even if it's like a little circuit they're using a tool that looks like it's meant for, you know, assembling a barn. Or yeah, something. it's like, Even, we need to hack this droid. Get me the ball-peen hammer real quick. Or, yeah. or, That's how I hack droids. Or, the, uh, <laughs> or, or they use a stick welder. <laughs> That's yeah. all. In. Okay, so, yeah, they love welding yeah. things. The, 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 the whole mod thing, like, felt weird because if, you, if this was, like, Coruscant, okay, fine. Like... Kids wearing like cool, stylish clothes on bright, polished, shiny little scooter Vespas, whatever. Like, don't even. We won't even go down like the whole. You know wh- what? What's the point of yeah, them? I wouldn't expect that road? on a desert planet because, for the most part, on Tatooine uh, of all uh, planets, unless you're a hut, you're dirt poor. Everyone on that right. planet is dirt. 
effing poor. So. It's a backwater, and that's the point. That's why Obi Wan went back to hide Luke there. Like that's why it was weird that An- they found Anakin there. It's it's like a backwater, middle of nowhere. Why would you even come here? Kind of planet. And then these kids are like the hip, you know, Vespa scooter gang. And well, maybe that's why they have Vespa and not speeders. They can't afford a speeder. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I will admit, though, at least like if they were a bunch it, of toothless, like redneck s- kids with <laughs> with overalls and shotguns, like. And like you know, four wheeler speeders, maybe like I could see that, <laughs> like on tattooing. Quad speeders. I, I will say though, like other than, like, in Cloud City, um, this is the first time, like, in some of the the streaming shows, you're seeing people do augments more. Like that kind of cyberpunk thing, like, oh yeah, it's normal. Go there and like go go get yourself upgraded, which you know is entirely possible. But other than like a couple of scenes in the original trilogy, you oh, don't. You're talking see about Camera it. Eyeball Man. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't see it that often, but it makes Universal sense Soldier? that it would be a thing that they would do. Like Jean Claude Van Damme and Universal Soldier. <laughs> So as as yeah. uh, as my I wife and I were watching uh, Andor, this actually is in reference to what what you were just talking about, uh, Chris. There was one word that kept coming to my mind about the architecture and the backgrounds and everything in Andor, and that that word was chunky. Like everything in that universe is chunky. And I don't mean like chunky as in like husky fat or anything like that. But like if you look at the dwellings that people live in, the walls are like three feet thick. And if you look at uh, even on Coruscant where everything is like pristine and clean, like the, the sections of walls that are in between windows, they're giant, they're huge and fat. And the uh, even in Star Destroyers and things like that, the architecture and the way everything is built is giant beefy girders all over the place which is actually surprisingly in in, a little bit in contrast to episodes one two and three where things are a lot more have a lot more curves and they're a lot thinner flying buttresses and very like yeah right and and that goes exactly in reference to like the tools like you have big chunky stuff and you need big chunky tools to fix big chunky things but that that just kept standing out to me and at the same time, if, if you if you pay attention to it, like good guys tend to have chunky, smooth curves in a way. Bad guys have chunky straight lines. Like take the good guy ships. There's more. There's more cylindrical stuff uh, on them. Or and versus the Empire, where it's just like straight triangles and things. It, it was interesting because it, it it was constant throughout Andor. The um, I haven't watched Obi Wan. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like that. But there's a there's a huge shift in the way the architecture of buildings and everything in between one, two, and three, and the whole area or zones around, you know, yeah. four, five, six. Although I, I did like, uh, not to jump ahead to Andor, but the when they were on the planet Ferrix, was it or um, Ferrix yeah. is like his home world. Yeah, and. Um, they had that whole like tradition with the bricks where they, where the deceased are kind of baked into, um, well, not baked spoilers, by the way, obviously take, (laughs) yeah, we should say, yeah, well, yeah, a month. Um, yeah, but spoilers, there's, you can't avoid it with this. Um, but the, and I'm not saying who, like just their tradition is that anyone who passes away, once they cremate them, they mix the ashes into the stuff they make the bricks out of and then they 
beat up stormtrooper with it. And um, <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool because then, like, you see it in their architecture. Everything was made of brick. So it kind of made sense that, like, they would have some tradition around bricks because, like, their whole planet, at least everything we saw, was, like, it's all bricks everywhere. Yeah, and they're, like, constantly mining thing on things on that planet too, right? I, I can't recall them ever saying what they mine, though. No, they don't. Like, yeah, they, what resource or mineral are they It's not that the Empire getting? wanted Right. Yeah. No, it's it's well, just they, interesting. They, in the last episode, when she has her like speech, she says like we fueled their ships and repaired or something. Like I'll have to watch it again. But she talked about what they did for the Empire. I think they're kind of yeah, like a hub said, world in like the mid rim area. So I think fueling their ships is not like what they they probably just have refueling stations and run them. Maybe. Yeah, maybe I mean I kind of I kind of got what okay. I kind of got that the meaning that like they they were like a world that the empire used utilized for resources mm-hmm. like, like Kraft is saying so uh it, it, they just it thought it was interesting they never uh, never said what it was which is you get the feeling that it's something to do with like ore or minerals like that makes like armor yeah, or steel it's, it's or something. Yeah, it's all very right? blue collar. It's like we mine and the Empire dumps stuff here and we dig through the junkyards to find grade yeah. A materials and yank them out. Still yeah, and that was another bit I liked. It was very short. The reclaiming the CPU heat sinks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, pouring that, that scene. I like what were that. They pouring, like, hi, like hydro. What are they? Uh, they're like pouring peroxide over them or something. Oh yeah, it was it something was like to clean up. Them. Yeah, but he was commenting. It was his adoptive father basically saying like, uh, "I thought it was cool because his adop- adoptive father is like, oh, we're gonna clean this stuff up and sell it to people.' He's like, people always want new stuff, but we can fix this old stuff, you know, just fine, and it'll be just as good. It's like, I thought it was kind of a cool idea." I think Andor in general, like the show, I think the first episode I was sat down on the couch, I started watching it. And within the first five minutes, like I turn and look to my wife and I'm like, I'm going to like this show. And uh, sure enough, like it was not a perfect show by any means, right? There's stuff that's kind of like irky, right? But about, but that's just kind of like Star Wars, Disney in general is headed that way. But I can't they specifically I think the show creators and writers have said that like they are going out of their way to avoid fan service right which yeah okay I can see that like thinking back on the episodes I've seen there's not a care other than Mon Mothma there's not a character that I think anyone could be familiar with what right? Andor um Leia yeah. was in there no they mention her but she's not in there Correct. Yeah, yeah. They mention her. Uh, what's his name? Bail Organa says, you know, he when, when they're talking, like he's, or am I getting Rogue One confused? Uh, I I don't know. I, they, I I think they allude to Leia, but I don't know if she's. I don't think she's actually in the in no, the episode. I, but the point is, is yeah. like they don't they don't they leave it to the imagination, right? A and then B. It seems like a show geared more towards, like, you know how you were complaining, um, Hyron, about, like, the books being geared towards that teen demographic? Yeah. Andor definitely feels like, 
okay, we're okay with your hero murdering two guys in cold blood in the first episode. Yeah. Because it benefits him. And it's half like the show is about end. that. Good guys, yeah, good guys have to do horrible things sometimes, right? No, and, like, And that's kind of, uh, I feel like that's kind of the overall theme. It's like, people have imagined that the rebels were always good and the empire right. is always bad. And it's like, no, for the rebellion to really kick off, they had to do a bunch of dirty things. There was a lot of spycraft. There was a lot of backstabbing. They're willing to kill their own people just for the greater good. Well, the like, whole, yeah, the whole thing where they had to let some tragedies, it was some saying, well, something they even said, like, we have to let, it was the, uh, the, the, oh, they let that guy's, uh, it was the were, older dude. Uh, they let that guy's whole crew die because of the the raid they were. Yeah, but pull. there's some quote yeah. that he says that the, the, the older dude that's like the the that's Saul. Yeah, well, no, there's Saul, but the other character. dude, the one who ran the shop. Oh, yeah. um, he has some line that's like that. That is, um, we need it to get a lot worse so that people will get angry enough to rebel. It's something like that. Well, and the interesting thing about Andor, right? The whole show centered around him. Like we know how his story ends. Like in, in a way, he's a tragic character. Uh, you know, like he doesn't ever get to see what becomes of the rebellion and you know the the overthrow of the empire and and all that stuff. He, you know, he's doing all these things and like never gets to see the conclusion and 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 like all that hard work. So it, it, it's a really, I guess from my standpoint it's a fantastic show about a character that is like just a tiny blip on the universe of star wars uh you know the radar of star wars so like uh, they need to do that more with all the rest of their shows and you know not trying to answer everyone's questions fill in every gap have every character you've ever known and loved show up in in the series for you to to give you some fan service come on you don't want a bobby frick series no, we do want to now. So, so Slow I, down. I might throw a wrench into your thing there, uh, Roz. Is I I do th- subscribe to the theory that the shop assistant is Princess Leia. I don't think it is. I think it is. It's not Princess no. Leia. It's got to be. No, because if you look at the ages right now, like uh, this, I think they said this is like five to six years before the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, yeah, she'd be, she'd be so 16 she years old. Been like, yeah, she she'd looks, be like, yeah, she'd be a teenager. No, I, like isn't a, she a, like 16 to 18 in a, a New Hope? She, she's well, like she's I know supposed Carrie to be like was 19 when they started shooting. So if the character is supposed to be the same age as the actor, but I think Princess Leia she would be like I think in Princess her Leia is supposed to be 20 something years old, like early 20s in that movie though, in episode 4. I, the ages hmm. line up. I never got that impression. Like the first I, time I saw that actor, I can't remember her name, like I was like that's Princess Leia. It's it's not though. She was it, 19 it's not Princess in a new Leia. Hope. Princess Leia is She's kicking around, uh, you know, uh, what, the, what, uh, God, the name of her planet. Alderaan. They, and, Alderaan. Yeah, Alderaan. Yeah, yeah, Alderaan. Yeah, she's kicking around Alderaan right now being a princess. But they don't say so, that at all in the I show. I mean, that girl has a name. I don't know what it is because it's Can not uh, Marky or <laughs> but, something like that? Yeah. I think that's a fake name because they people would know that Princess Leia is supposed to be Alderaan, but... 
We even see from but the why would, we saw in uh, why would Princess Leia be working for some obscure like remember the rebellion isn't even yeah but they're really working to build yet. the rebellion and Princess Le- we know Princess Leia was starting was part of starting the rebellion I mean if you watch the end of um well, that's because her father's a senator and knows Mon Mothma if you watch the end of of uh, Obi Wan Kenobi show um which I haven't baby watched. or child spoilers. Um, child princess leia is like talking about like recognizing that she's a power she can, will become a powerful figure and wants to help people and that kind of stuff so it, it totally makes sense for me so she goes to coruscant to work at a pawn I shop think to, cause he, <laughs> because she she somehow figures out that this one dude is starting the or starting to start the rebellion and wants to work for that because she's totally like in on the whole thing the rebellion it's like she's running the radio in the back, back of the shop and stuff. L- Luthien. They, name, her name's think, Clea. Right? They she has her own character page in Wikipedia. She's a different character. Yeah, because it's not, although there's a lot so, of theories on Google of people. Yeah. My, that's my head canon right now. Is that is Leia head canon? I like that. Yeah. Head canon. By the way, Wikipedia the I think has a really really fantastic one sentence synopsis of all of Andor. Uh, and it, it goes like this. The Andor series will explore a new perspective from the Star Wars galaxy, focusing on Cassian Andor's journey to discover the difference he can make. And like, yeah, that that packages it all up. And I think yeah. that's the whole thing about the whole uh, uh, the, the rebellion as a whole is a, enough people deciding, hey, yeah, I can make a difference. Yeah, I mean, he runs into like... Uh that Karl Marx kid writing his manifesto about the rebellion on that one planet where they do the heist. And like, there's all, and then you get a, you get a look at Saul Guerrero and his outfit. And then there's Luthien and, and the stuff that he's doing behind the scenes. And, and then they, they name like several other separatist groups basically. And like, they really paint the picture that this is just a bunch of people that are just pissed off at the empire. But I like that they're disorganized. Like, that's what I mean. Yes. You go back to the original series, they make it appear like, oh, the rebels are all unified and there's one leader and they're all grouped together. And it's like, no, it's a bunch of cells. It's a bunch of pissed off people. Um, Even related to that, I love them showing like, like empires like, uh, we need to schedule a meeting. We need to like screw with politics and our internal bureaucracy and talk about crap. What do we do about this? Oh, and people are money laundering and hiding things like all the stuff that you kind of know is going on in the background. But it's really nice to see that play out and see like the whole ISB angle is super cool. Like I I agree with you. It's really cool. One dude, though, the security officer, dude, that guy's a creep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he. Wait, which the, one? The one who keeps trying to like hit on the ISB. Oh, the, the guy that's stalking yeah, stalk, that. Stalking that, uh, is a good term for it. Yes. <laughs> the grown man See, who eats cereal with his mother. Yeah. I'm not sure he is hitting on her. I think he, I think, <laughs> I think that he sees her as being someone who's effective because he's been around all these ineffectual people and everyone he ever talked to is like, because I can see it in the way he's acting the character that he's surrounded by people who are, in his view, incompetent. And, you know, a person who works for is incompetent. All these people around him are competent. And he just wants to make a difference. He just wants to be of use to the Empire. And then he meets her, and she's super, like, intense and focused 
and effective. And he's like, I'm going to help her. I'll do whatever I can to make, to be part of that. I don't think it's purely physical. I think it's, Oh, it's not. It's an attraction of wanting to be part of what she represents. It's definitely also driven his hate for Andor. It's like, you can help me get to him. And I hate my Imperial cube life. By the way, Imperial cube farms are amazingly horrible. <laughs> yes, it hits a little too close to home, unfortunately. We're going to have a cubicle, but none of the advantages of a cubicle. <laughs> I like that, that all that, that whole background and like how they all the inner office politics and squabbling over who's and and the nice thing. I mean, not nice thing, but like the thing that it hit for me is people can look at star wars and go they had the death star they had these ships they had this they had this they had this how did they fail and then you watch andor and you go they were doomed from the beginning red tape yeah yeah giant behemoth yeah also when they when they're like squabbling and they take jabs at each other in the boardroom that 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 woman and the the guy that she's trying to encroach on his territory yeah the other isb absolutely amazing yeah yeah, it, it, it it's interesting because like, it, I, I see what you're saying, like craft it, and, and like you're, you're sp- I think you're spot on about his character. He's like a uh, the I forget his name. God, I should have done more, more. Uh, well, I can't even remember my own kids' names half the time, so I don't feel <laughs> too bad. Um, yeah, but you know the the we all know who we're talking about. Uh, he wasn't even th- remember he wasn't even empire he was corporate security yeah so this is like a guy who's been uh living on like a somewhat significant planet working for like uh like let's say like a a mid-level type of organization like paramilitary organization and then he finally gets a taste of what the big leagues are like and he's like oh shit i want some of that like uh, whatever it takes, I gotta get. I gotta get on board with that. A- and she's going places. He recognizes it, and I think he wants to ride her coattails to some extent. But I think he's also. They've done a good job of painting his character as being hyper fixated on, in his mind, justice, like right and wrong. It's it's right? past career and, and, advancement, and it's more towards like moral justification. Yeah. And, yeah. and see, that's the interesting thing is like, okay, cannon. you guys, you remember the heist, right? When they bra- when they spring the heist and they pull the guns on those Imperial officers after they shut the doors and that one Imperial officer like steps in front of the kid and the woman is like, do whatever you want to me. Like, don't hurt them. And you're like, hold on a second. Like, this is the empire. He Like, he should be throwing them in front of him and like using them as human shields as he takes pot shots. But then I I think it really does a good job of painting the moral ambiguity of the two sides. You have Andor on one side who in the first episode murdered people has no qualms about shooting you anyone in the back of the head if he needs to get out of a situation. And then you have Imperial officers who are like risking their own life to save women and children. And it really does kind of paint this like moral dichotomy of the two sides. The empire 99% 99% of the people, except for the ones at the very, very top, truly believe that they're doing what is right for the galaxy, right? They're they're instilling law and order. They're 
providing safety and security for all the systems. And it's, this is really kind of the first time they've started in, as far as I can remember, started painting characters that are in that vein. So you're like, they're in that. You're like Obi-Wan a lot then, because there's a scene with, um, with an, with an alien that picks up Obi-Wan and like baby princess Leia. And like, like he like likes the empire and he's like chatting up like he'd like no stormtroopers and stuff and like they get to and they get to a <laughs> checkpoint i don't i don't i really don't take your headset off so i don't spoil it for you okay okay anyways he turns them man. over to the stormtroopers because he's like these people are suspicious <laughs> and he's I, like he's yeah. like i love uh, the empire it, and these got like i picked these pe- these people off off the side of the road and they're suspicious as hell so so yeah, I guess long story short, Andor does not shy away from the complex yeah. like themes yeah. that are going on with it. it leans into it if anything. I would say most of the shows are like that. Except for Book of Boba Fett. I'm, <laughs> no, Book I'm, Boba I'm Fett does that, for, so I'm waiting for the life of Brian reference like what did the Empire ever do for us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Obi Wan. Always look on the. I'm having a hard time remembering it, but to me, I think it was mostly a treatise on how to get a part-time job and public transportation. So (laughs) that seemed to be the focus of the series. Like, I still was like scratching my head, going, "How long does food stay good in the?" Because, like, I don't know how many episodes he was working out in the desert where they're just cutting up that. Big Space stingray. And, yeah, and then cutting meat out of it to, like, you would think within a day it would be, yeah, rotting or whatever. Bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe it's really not humid and it just dries stuff out and preserves it. I don't know. It just turns yeah, straight into be, jerky. Yeah, yeah. The jerky market. Um, yeah, and then lots of like taking rides on other vehicles than his own you know he is he is like the he is a space bum yeah will be one in that show yeah he's totally a space bum he he's always, he's he's always, always hitching rides. To help him move <laughs> so i found maybe it's because i'm not a parent but i found leia to be a bit above the annoying scale like Kids in movies are often, or in series, are often annoying because, like, they do things real kids like wouldn't do that badly. But she's really like, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to show she's independent and she's freewheeling and all this stuff. But like, you would think at some point, if someone said, "Hey, all these guys trying to kill you, just listen to me. I know your dad. We're gonna get you home. Don't run away." don't you know do something dumb and then she immediately does something dumb you know and it's like okay like are kids really that dumb i mean i, I realize they can be but they're you think in dumb. a dangerous situation <laughs> most kids yeah they're i don't have kids my friends do but i look at that and go yeah they would be that dumb um yeah i'm like why are you playing in the furnace i'm like Ugh. I mean, when I was a kid, I stuck a fork in a electrical socket. So I mean, uh, I stuck a coin between two, uh, you know, uh, an extension cord. Ooh, that's spicy. Yeah, 
Luckily, yeah, but most kids the like the if something zone. scary happens or someone is chasing them, they head for their parents. Yeah, you would think that at some point you'd be like, "Oh shit, what's going on? I need to like, I need an adult hold hands." And it's like, "No, I'm gonna rip off your cloak and run." Yeah, I'll have to watch that it's series good. and I, I'll, I'll judge, judge it the, constantly. The other thing and. Uh, Someday I'll have to try to, like, and it kind of ties into what you were saying, Stephen, about the the architecture stuff. Because I noticed that, w- at least within the Empire, like in Obi Wan, there's that giant monolithic water planet building Camino. that they were in, and um, were the what are the people called who hunt the Jedi? Inquisitors. Uh, Inquisitors, oh, yeah. yeah. So they were in that like big building because he like snuck into whatever and then I thought well and then Vader on you know he's got his giant black pyramid Mustafar his Must- Mustafar on the lava planet yeah lava world um, so you got water world with a giant black pyramid and or in water world and lava world you know in it's like, what's with the giant black pyramids? Or is that just what Vader likes, you know? And then is that why everything's triangular shaped within the Empire? Because they have one architect. So I started going down this whole path of like, well, what do they got? Like one architect designing all these buildings and all the ships and trying to make them all look the same. And then I thought about Nazis and their lead architect who is like designing everything and their lead, you know, um, fashion designer designing Hugo, everything. Hugo Boss. <laughs> Hugo <laughs> Boss. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's an accidental that things they're, you know, they're doing this in the series that the Empire is like a certain form to everything. <clears throat> I don't remember the, uh, the architect, but like Germany had like this, the chief architect of the, like everything they were going to build. Yeah, I know. He, yeah. Spear, maybe oh, Al- Albert Spear, years or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, the whole Reichstag and like, yeah, N- Nuremberg was like, if I re- recall, he did a yeah, all the gray concrete. If you've ever seen Valkyrie, the movie with uh, Tom Cruise, like they do a good job of. They do it also that. in the in the um, Man in the High Tower in that yes. series. They, Fantastic show. They, they brought a lot of it like to life. Ending was kind of weird, but yeah, the ride mm-hmm. along the way was good. Yeah, you could say that for most of these. <laughs> yeah. It was good. It was good until it ended. Um. So yeah, I don't really have much about Obi, but yeah, Andor, and I don't think it's just because Andor was the last. I think Andor, there were things that I saw that I went, I was like. Wow, Obi like Obi Wan was little things bad, but I think of it as if this unnecessary. If this was the late '90s and there was a novel I walked by at Barnes and Noble for the expanded universe, I'm like, oh yeah, here's a story about what happened to Obi Wan. It's not bad. It's just here's a side story. It's not going to be some epic foundation so, yeah. that is, they build multiple years. This is definitely not bad. Like I, I'll be clear. Like I thought it was completely enjoyable while I was watching it, and as soon as I stopped watching it, I never thought about so this it. This is what we get out of though today. Obi Wan and Vader fight, and it's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So, but so okay. 
from a out a person who has not seen it yet's perspective, Boo. which I also have not seen. Right. I do Boo. not understand what you just said, Parker, makes my mind want to hurt. Like Obi-Wan's hiding on Tatooine. He runs into Vader. Like, wait, what? He's supposed to think Obi-Wan's dead. You should He's watch supposed it. to think that he got killed in Order 66. Like, this just shoots it, entire big giant holes it, it in doesn't, everything I, that I thought it existed. They, they fill the holes. But, but, but wrap it all up with totally, in my mind, totally unnecessary. Like, why even build the series? Okay. Was here. anyone asking what happened to Obi-Wan between... Episodes three and four. I, I he got I'll, a lot older and turned into Alex Guinness. That's what I thought. <laughs> I'll, I'll say they do it well in that. Imagine you're Anakin turning to Vader. You, you just lost all your limbs. Got thrown near a lava pit. You, your your wife and supposedly your kids died. You're in a real bad mood, uh, and Obi Wan disappears you're probably going to dedicate the next decade of your life to hunting this person down and being angry about it and like not focusing on your day job. All you want to do is get revenge and find this person. And, and that kind of paints like his mental instability and what he's focused on and sending these inquisitors out to find Jedi and, and just like, the side quest is like, did you find Obi-Wan? I need to kill this mofo. I am so angry about this. And they build it well. It and, didn't feel like you're trying. It, it, they did it well. Yeah. And they cover like how Obi-Wan, first of all, tries to seclude himself from the Force and that kind of stuff. And then you see how much, actually how like lame and a, a bum he became. And how like detached he becomes from the Jedi way of life. Um, you were you were talking about Luke being a bad teacher. Like <laughs> apparently Obi-Wan's, Obi-Wan's like uh, Yeah, so is Yoda apparently as well. <laughs> so Yeah, and again, I, I didn't think it was bad and I, I didn't really get excited about the fight with Vader. I don't know. I it wasn't bad. Again, it, it's like it just and I don't even feel like it didn't need to exist because I was like, well, I enjoyed watching it when I watched You're it. You're right. Though. It 100%. Just, it made its own questions about what was going on and then answered them. It wasn't like Andor or um, Book of Boba Fett. But Book of Boba Fett was like what, hap- like what happened to Boba Fett after he went to the Sarlacc pits. That it was answering that. Like this didn't really answer anything besides what happened after, like, you know, six years or seven years after Order sixty six happened. That was really yeah, the only it, thing. It's it's kind of instilling. You may have not thought about this, but let's let this play out. And oh, by the way, here's the kind of things that were going on. And yeah, it's like an elaborate fanfic. It is. Basically. I think for me, the other part is it didn't have any of these kind of at least for me it didn't have any of these bigger concepts like we're talking about like we just spent whatever 15 20 minutes talking about the empire and 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 bureaucracy and all this stuff and it's like oh i didn't get yeah, it well it's totally a story of personal grudges 
yes. personal grudges and regrets is what Obi-Wan is about. Yeah. It's it's Yeah, and again, I think it's worth watching because it it's interesting, it's well made. It's you know I could have done with much less Leia. Um, <laughs> I, I want to watch it now just because you're telling me that. Like, I want to see how annoying this is. I don't mean to offend anyone who is a parent, you know. Um, there was oh, way no, more dude. annoying <clears throat> kids in sci-fi, like the kid in Aliens 2. That's fair. They mm. they only come out at night, or they mostly come out yeah, at night? Yeah, mostly come out at night, mostly. Newt, Newt, that's Newt. her name. Is that her name? You know, you know what's yeah, interesting? I think the difference there is when the space marines tell her, like, do this. She's like, yes, sir. And she sits there, you know. With Leia, it would be like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Boom. And then she'd run and get captured right away. From That's true. How many times did she get captured so, in that show? Like eight? And it's like six episodes I, I, long? I watched <laughs> some reviews, and, and there was a lot of other people who were frustrated with that same concept, where it's just like, this seems just nobody would do it this way. You know the the interesting thing, however, the three that we the three um, series that we have on our list here: Book of Boba Fett, Obi Wan, and Andor. Kind of, if if you if you look at those in terms of fan service, you have one that's like no fan service, one that's medium fan service, and one that's all fan service, which is kind of cool that Disney's giving that uh, that spread. And what I mean by all fan service is Obi Wan Kenobi, although I haven't seen it, it's like all the characters you know and seeing what they've done in the past and book of Boba Fett's like the future of this one character that everyone thinks is cool and then there's andor and it's like wow this guy got his own show like that's kind of yeah. cool right i, right. I appreciate that disney's going out on a limb and doing a variety so, of things like that it's i was surprised they greenlit it for a second season knowing that like it's not doing well for viewership so it's uh the fans what's that just, andor andor Fans just aren't yeah. connecting with it. Oh, I didn't um, know it was getting a second or, season. Yeah, it's getting it, it. Definitely, I think they like gave it a second season even before it aired, or almost immediately after. So before they even knew what the viewership was. But well, they um, they actually wrote it a ending, know. so it must have been greenlit. The second season must have been greenlit after that was put together because like it doesn't lend Could itself be, yeah. to another season. Yeah, it's, I, I just finished it last night, and I was like, cool, that's great. It's like a self-contained story. That's fine. And they, they did say it's having kind of a long tail, but basically the reaction has been, the director even said it's been the opposite of what he expected because he expected poor response from critics but good response from fans. And he said it's basically been the opposite, that he's been getting you know positive um feedback from critics and fans just aren't watching it they're not criticizing they're just not watching it although it's also had a long tail so it's kind of helping with like word of mouth and people saying it's it's worth watching so i i almost feel it's it's the same dilemma as rogue one like people who like to go on rotten tomatoes and blog about stuff typically aren't it they want more fast-paced action this they're not looking for deep stories and and like you know back-end explanation of how politics and bureaucracy were working and you know the the type of relationships that are going on between groups um and rogue one suffered from that and they're like yeah rogue one didn't get good ratings 
but you talk to like diehard Star Wars fans that have been. It's, it's top no, three. It's, yeah, yeah. Number one yeah. movie for me. It's just like, I, mean, I, I don't just, have time to go on Rotten Tomatoes and click a star. I don't give a damn. Uh, I got too much Star Wars to watch to do that. At least, <laughs> I mean, at least probably once, uh, I don't know, once a month, once a quarter, something like that. I watch, I'm looking in the notes in that Hammerhead Corvette scene, like that whole battle. I will rewatch that just because it's so cool seeing those characters be more um, cuz it's like the the call, no what's her name the the captain of the ship oh. of the rebel his race it's not oh, Cal- the calamari. calamari oh yeah mon calamari yeah. calamari, calamari. Really. yeah and that yeah, guy's uh, i have his that. name he is admiral radus he's radus but isn't he related to Akbar. I don't think Akbar? they're related. I thought they were related. But he's the oh. actual like leader, and then he, you know, he dies in End of Rogue One, and then Akbar assumes his leadership role. Okay, I always thought I always thought they were related for some reason. Um, but just seeing like him being decisive and like, like you get this attitude like, hey, this guy can bring it, you know, in a fight. He, well, he did bring it, you know. Like thinks on his feet, so I mean he has flippers, feet, you know, um, <laughs> flippers, you know. Like he's the guy you want in the chair when you're in the fight, you know. Kind of like Captain Kirk, you know. Um, so I I'll rewatch that scene, and I I just love it. I mean it, it's so great. There's there's so many there's scenes like that, and there's even little scenes when like Krennic goes to talk to Vader, and you know, and Vader does that little choke some of these is like don't choke on your ass oh his little pun you know, it's just yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that movie is too good you know what um i know we should be moving on but uh solo is like that too for me i solo is a brilliant move solo died for the sins of episode eight i think because episode eight came out yeah. and then like six months later solo comes out and then like no one everyone was so angry at eight no one went to go see solo um Let's not open that can of worms because well, and they had their shields up, like they were they they weren't receptive to anything because they were so upset yeah. that normally your soul is not perfect. Oh, it's Obviously, not perfect, especially seeing it had two different directors and they had to reshoot some of the stuff. But they it wasn't bad, but it was made bad by the fact that no one had their mind. Yeah, no one. I, I love that watching it. Um, Solo is probably number four on my list. So, um, but it, it was right. the same thing. It's just the the hardcore like people who love Star Wars really like that movie, um, and the critics don't like it. And then the the I would call casual Star Wars fans don't like it at all. Like hate it. So hmm. they're lost. Yeah, they're lost. Um, okay, um, so we are. Hang on, I, I got one quick question. I wanted to okay. see if anyone else caught this. Uh, so this is just a just a quick thing about Andor. The the sets, the props, everything were absolutely phenomenal. But did you guys catch two times in in Andor, uh, spe- specifically on the mission of Aldani, where they have to go and like raid the the uh, the the dam uh, there? They just gave people AK forty sevens. 
Like, and, yeah, and yeah, everyone oh, yeah. else had like Space cool AKs. like pimped Blasters out weapons and, and stuff. stuff like that, and they just straight up gave them AKs. Yeah, they have yeah. kinetic. I was I was gonna for say. I almost put that in my comments for the episode, which was to say, "What the Emperor Empire is using AKs now?" But they, they painted they painted I mean, the magazine other, slightly different. But like, the, yeah. but other than that, it was just straight up here. You go. But <laughs> but famously, like the blasters based upon a like a Sterling like a submachine gun. It, well, and then there's like a flare gun they used for part of it, I think. And yeah, the, for, the heavy uh, guns Boba, are Boba Fett's uh, pistol was based on like a flare gun. Oh from yeah, yeah, Boba Fett, yeah. Yep. And uh, and the heavy guns are are German MG thirty fours. Yeah, what 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 I like to think the AK forty seven is that reliable that they're like, ah, it's still good. Just just use yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, it's even good. Even even in space, they know how. Yeah, but, awesome but usually, yeah, but usually they take the guns and they kind of like kit bash the guns together. Yeah, but no, they, in, yeah. This, yeah, they were yeah. like, no, here's just AK forty sevens that we had in the prop here, here closet. You here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you got a script for us? Are you going to share the script? Or so I. So y'all over? have a, um, a, a. I shared y'all a a document that I already pasted Act One into. So this is this is the. So the next section is Steven's section. Um, his his. Uh, <laughs> engineering My tech section. Tech section. But before then, we're going to do Act One of, um, of the. Star Wars episode chat GPT-3, Rebel Codebreakers, a Star Wars story. So it looks like everyone is in there. So you all see your, your sections. You're going to have some like theme music when you do this in post. Uh, like, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> no, I, I, no I, I got some. So everything that's italicized is stuff that I read. So I'm, I'll start. Okay. Okay. Good. Rebel Codebreakers base, Hyron's office. Chiron is sitting at his desk, looking at a holographic map of the galaxy. Roz, Steven, and Chris Kraft are standing in front of his desk. The Empire is planning to launch a massive attack on one of our key rebel bases. We need to come up with a plan to help the rebels defend against the assault. Hmm. I think we should focus on decoding the transmission to determine the exact time and location of their attack. That way we can alert the rebels and give them enough time to prepare. Hmm. But the Empire is using a new encryption algorithm. Decoding a transmission could take days, even with our best codebreakers working on it. I have an idea. I could try to hack into their database and access the information directly. It might be risky, but it could give us the information we need in a fraction of the time. That's a good idea, Chris. But we need to be careful. I mean, if the Empire finds out we're hacking into their databases, they'll increase security and make it even harder for us to gather information. We can do it, Hyron. We're the Rebel Codebreakers. We can outsmart the Empire. You're right, Roz. We'll hack into their database and get the information. Will the Rebel Codebreakers be able to outsmart the Empire and bring freedom to the galaxy? Or will the Empire's Codebreakers prevail? Only time will tell. So yeah, um, Chat GPT, you're a pu- you're a pushover of a leader, man. All I had to do is be like, we can do it. <laughs> you know what? You're I'm right. Sold. But I, this is what I was talking about with Chat or with a GPT. It it 
like it's very surface level doesn't hang on to motivations like individual motivations like it'll have people quickly go that's a great idea let's all do it (laughs) your way you know and you're like no people aren't like that you know (laughs) you do have to to give it what was that oh i was saying we should do a side quest star wars d20 just let gpt generate everything and we'll roll with it we were talking about that it. let gpt be the dungeon master you do where have, it decides everything you do have to craft <laughs> the prompts to it and yeah. try to feed it motivations because usually it just does what chris was talking about it does very surface level stuff and then it's really hard to get it to do conflict like it does it tries to avoid conflict in stories like the moment someone goes, oh, what about this way? The other character will go, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Forget about what my opinion now. Well, I, I still this think way. it would be fun. It, it would be fun, though. Like if, if the GM is acting kind of as an intermediary and, you know, if GPT gets stupid, you, you ad lib and fill in and be like, here's your script. Here's your back. It up a little here's, bit. Yeah. here's the context of your character. Let's run with that. So in act one, the chat bot wrote about 98% of that. I think I had to change a couple sentences, like reorder them so it made more sense as a conversation. Better than the 20 volumes of stuff Wizards of the Coast puts out for 5th edition. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, let's move on to the tech section. Um, for, For... all the uh, listeners, uh, if you haven't heard any of our Star Wars episodes before, this is the part where we go and talk about the technology of Star Wars and we, I guess, deconstruct a little bit of it and uh, criticize it and come up with uh, some conclusions on things. So um, I guess my section is first, so we'll start diving into that. But uh, looks like some of our people are running off to grab a refill on a drink, so we'll just hang out for a quick second. In fact, it's a perfect time for me to get a refill on a drink. And we edit, and we get drinks. I'm the fluffer. Are there people hanging out on Twitch that have questions? I'm going to have to, when we're done with it all, I'm going to have to do like a super cut of just the script to read. Oh, yeah. I, again, I like that. I, I think it's fun. And um, it could spice up a, a D20 mm-hmm. session.
I still can't believe we talked like 57 minutes about <laughs> Book of Boba Fett, Obi-Wan, and Andor. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we could have gone much longer. Oh, yeah. I had to cut, like, especially yeah. when I brought up, we well, Roz brought up R1, and then I'm like, and Solo are like, and I'm like, oh, we got to cut this. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me set this up real quick. I'm going to do a little mic clap. Sorry for everyone out in the stream if that hit your your headset. All right, are we good? Yeah, pick it up. We're great. Cool. So, uh, for my section, I wanted to talk about the Star Destroyer collision crash in uh, the at the end of Rogue One when they're in the battle in space above the planet Scarif. So uh, before we get started, though, I was I was wanting to talk about uh, the one movie that is sort of like the episode eight uh, at the end. Well, I guess it's not the end, uh, close to the end when purpled hair Jurassic Park uh, lady takes the uh, Carillion cruiser and she goes hyperspace through the Empire space boomerang. Everyone lost their mind about that section. Uh, There's so many. I, I, it's it's problematic. Let's just put put it that way. In terms of um, in terms of the Star Wars universe, in fact, it's it was so problematic that in Episode Nine, J.J. Uh, Abrams had to write some, I guess, unique language to get around it with the whole thing, calling it the Holdo maneuver, and it being like a one in a million chance kind of thing. Basically, just saying that, uh, writing it out of existence. That. Well, it got that got me thinking because I was thinking about that one section, and in in a very similar way, we have a ship running into another ship that's causing things to happen at the end of Rogue One, and it's got me thinking: Why are people not upset about what happens at the end of Rogue One, but so upset about what happens in Episode Eight? Because uh, there's there's a lot of similarities to it. Regardless, we can we can go over that uh, later. What I want to first talk about is the feasibility of what happens at the end of Rogue One. So instead of, you know, since this is a podcast, we can't play the clip. I'm just going to do a quick synopsis of what happens and then we can uh, we can go from there. So we're, we're in the battle above Scarif. So five rebel Y-wings fly towards a, um, a Star Destroyer. The name of the Star Destroyer is the Persecutor and they drop a handful. It's something like 12 ion torpedoes and it just absolutely wrecks the Star Destroyer and ends up disabling its engines. Admiral Raddus, who we discussed earlier, calls up the Lightmaker, which is a Hammerhead class Corvette, uh, which is basically just a giant space cruiser. Captain by Cato, I don't even know how to pronounce this, O'Cone? It's Star Wars names are hard. Uh, regardless, the Corvette rams the disabled Star Destroyer. It throws its sublight engines on full power and causes the Persecutor to be shoved into the adjacent Star Destroyer, which is the Intimidator. Both Star Destroyers suffer massive damage, and the Persecutor actually ends up uh, plummeting towards Scarif, uh, taking out the shield gate at the, uh, at the same time. So, which uh, then allows them to transmit things. So I got yeah. two, two, two comments. One, yeah, what's up? The names of I, I just I should have realized this sooner, but the names of imperial ships are pretty much similar to um, British, like 
British uh, British ship, ship of the line, like yeah, uh, uh, War Spite and the Dauntless and um, Indomitable and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And two, that this this means that there's a hammerhead shark in the Star Wars universe. Because why else would they name this thing the Hammerhead? And it's not only that; it's like a hammerhead. It, it well, it's a Sphirna class hammerhead so there's like divisions of hammerhead on top of that yeah but i'm just saying is like isn't the, the shape of its race hole is like a hammerhead yeah. shark but uh-huh. unless it's the race from the you know the cantina and also the mayor in um book of boba fett oh ithorians ithorians they're yeah, like aren't space they? slugs oh yeah they're not really or snails yes I guess maybe I'd have to look because I, I have the old school miniatures and I swear they were called Hammerhead. Um, I'll have to, I still have them in the house somewhere. I'll have to pull them out. They probably gave them proper names in the years in between in the expanded universe. But I swear when I was collecting them as a whatever, 12 year old, um, it was it was Hammerhead. So, no, you're right. Of, you're right, Chris. They are also known as Hammerhead. The Mama Narden is the. Oh, Ithorians. No, Mama Mar- Nar- uh, Narden is a is a Ithorian. But they're also known Ithorian is the official name, but they're just called Hammerheads. Yeah. Well, then maybe this ship is somehow modeled after them, or maybe they designed it or something. Well, no, that's probably where the hammerhead name comes from is the shape of their head. So there's no sharks. Sharks not confirmed in Star Wars. Heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) So the question I'm going at here is, even with the persecutors' engines disabled, is this a feat that the Lightmaker, the Hammerhead Corvette, could even pull off. Is it feasible for a ship like that to hit a Star Destroyer and shove it into another Star Destroyer? So, the Star Wars universe, in terms of Google, there's tons of information out there, but surprisingly not the information that I needed. So, I'm going to be going through a lot of assumptions and methods through which I actually obtained the... uh, the values and the parameters that I needed to calculate the uh, the possibility of this. Is so it, the is first this a screenshot of really, Autodesk Fusion. It is. It is. The first thing <laughs> I did was I got a 3D model of a star destroyer and then appropriately scaled it to match the length of what is is known in the Star Wars universe. So a star destroyer is 1600 meters long, and Fusion 360 had no problem with me scaling it to 1600 meters. And the nice thing about uh, 3D modeling is you can easily determine the volume of a, uh, a model in the software. So I expanded my model up and then got uh, went to the properties and found the volume of a Star Destroyer, which according to Fusion 360 comes out to, with a small bit of rounding, 46 million cubic meters. And the nice thing about a 3D model is that's actually going to be fairly accurate. So I can hang my hat on that number. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with that. So the volume of a Star Destroyer is 46 million cubic meters. The next thing I did, 
uh, is went and found density ranges for modern vessels like airplanes, uh, warships, fighter jets, things like that. Because what I'm trying to find out is the mass of a Star Destroyer, which the funny thing is you can find all kinds of information about Star Destroyers. No one says what its mass is. So in order to figure out, you know, one thing shoving another thing around, I need to figure that value out. So uh, a commercial airline, um, like, a, like just a Boeing jet, is somewhere in the range of 250 kilograms per meter cubed. Uh, a fighter jet is somewhere in the range of 317 kilograms per meter cubed. A modern like battleship is going to be about 450 kilograms. And a submarine is actually surprisingly up there in around 816 kilograms per meter cubed. So this at least gives me some numbers that I can work with uh, in terms of things that we experience. And uh, if, if you go look at cross sections or exploded diagrams of Star Destroyers, it's surprising how much they're empty. There's a yeah, lot of room. Say, there's, there's a lot of air in there and whatnot. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot of air in there. And actually the, the main portion of the triangle, or the, I guess it's like a weirdly shaped pyramid, the main portion of it is actually just the reactor and there's tons of open space around it. So I don't think it's a good move to go on the high side of density, uh, but it's also a giant space warship, so I don't want to go on the low side. So I ended up just estimating the density of a, well, the average density of a Star Destroyer at 500 kilograms per cubic meter. I think that's just an okay number to go with. So by multiplying the density by the volume, I can get its average mass and I ended up with uh, 23 million metric tons. Um, and in scientific notation, we'll go with 2.3 times 10 to the 10th kilograms. And uh, so in, in my research and checking a bunch of different websites, there's a huge amount of people choosing different values for the mass of a Star Destroyer. But this 23 million metric tons is sort of in the realm of what other people are saying. So I'm I'm... I feel okay with with that value. So, we've got the we've got the volume, we've got the density that we picked, and two point three times ten to the tenth kilograms seems like an okay mass value. Now, this the next thing I wanted to do was figure out what are reasonable acceleration values for starships in Star Wars. Like how how fast do ships accelerate, um, and this is the one section that probably has the most fudge in it, let's put it that way, because the numbers that I did in doing my research were all over the map, of some being really, really like reasonable values that you would expect like us experiencing on Earth, some that were so, so crazily out there that ships could just do ridiculous maneuvers that just don't make sense. Like one place claims that TIE fighters have an acceleration of 4,100 G's, which means that they'd like go from like a dead stop to, you know, thousands of miles an hour, almost instantaneously. Like they're just, there's just, just liquefied in the process. Yeah. Just completely yeah. unreasonable values. Now in my research though, I came across a website that's a really fun one. It's called st-v-sw, which is Star Trek versus Star Wars.com. And <laughs> this is your they source. They go through 
they, yeah, this is this is my source. <laughs> they go through so much technology of Star Wars in it. It's fantastic, and it's exhaustive. The the work that they put into it. So, I'm going to reach out and consider them the ex, the experts in this situation. And what's great is they go through in this one section that I'm going to pull some values from. They go through some some. Um, the, uh, some footage from Empire Strikes Back. You know, right when uh, the Millennium Falcon goes and connects itself to the backside of the uh, of a Star Destroyer, and then you know they they shoot the trash out into space, and the and the uh, Millennium Falcon falls off. Well, there's a lot of footage of the Millennium Falcon flying around at that point, and so much so that they can actually that they were actually able to go frame by frame and see distances it traveled. On top of that, there's some sections in there where Han throws an afterburner on, which is supposedly the fastest that the Millennium Falcon can go. And the Millennium Falcon is supposedly uh, the fastest hunk of junk in the in the uh, galaxy, which that doesn't necessarily mean it's the fastest, but it's a pretty good measuring stick for a ship going fast or a ship accelerating. So through some exhaustive frame-by-frame measurements of things they were able to determine a top acceleration that the millennium falcon can experience which they came up with a value of 210 meters per second second uh which is is somewhere in the in the range of 20 g's you know that's enough to cause some some damage to a human but there's inertial dampeners and all kinds of stuff like that in the Star Wars universe, so we'll ignore that. But that's at least like an okay value for us to play around with. And I'm going to make the argument that the Lightmaker, which is a much larger ship, is not going to be able to accelerate as fast as the Millennium Falcon. Uh, so I'm just going to arbitrarily, for the moment, take half that value and say that's what the acceleration that the Lightmaker is capable of so 105 meters per second squared seems to be an okay value and i have an excel sheet that we can change that value if we want to later to see the impacts of things but at least this is a number that is backed up by movie footage and surprisingly on this website they show different sections of that whole scene and apparently the millennium falcon maintains its proper acceleration and, and velocity throughout multiple scenes in there. So whoever was filming that at the time did a really good job of making sure that the Falcon was believable scene to scene, including the acceleration values, which is pretty nuts if you ask me. So all of that whole section there to say, I'm going to assume that the Lightmaker has a acceleration capability maximum acceleration of 105 meters per second squared which is still like 10 to 12 g somewhere in that range still pretty significant for a large ship like that so the next thing to figure out is the amount of thrust that the light maker can put out with its it has three sublight engines and it's important to know that they're sublight because in rogue one i stepped through it and they actually say put the sublight engines to max thrust. So we're not dealing with hyperdrive engines, we're dealing purely with sublight engines. The Lightmaker has a cargo capacity of 22,833 metric tons. Why would cargo capacity matter? I looked up a whole bunch of ships and uh, found their mass 
and their cargo capacity. And the reason why I looked that up is because I couldn't find the mass of the light maker anywhere, but I found the mass of other ships that people determined. And so I looked at what is in general, the ratio of the cargo capacity to the mass of a general ship in star Wars. So just how and much empty general, space it would have. Well, in yeah, general, what I found is they, they usually have, that makes sense. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I found that in general, a ship, when the cargo capacity and the mass were, uh, when they gave those values, it was usually a factor of four. Uh, divide the total mass of the ship by four, that's how much cargo the ship could take. So the light maker, I was able to find the cargo capacity, I wasn't able to find the mass of the ship, multiply it by four, do a tiny bit of rounding, and I found that the mass of the light maker to be 90,000 metric tons, which, you know, for a big monster a cargo ship okay sure let's let's go ahead and go with that that still kind of also plays in the same realm of that's you know ninety thousand metric tons whereas the star destroyer is 23 million metric tons if you look at the disparage between those two numbers that still kind of works out if you look at the sizes of the ship so i've got my acceleration value i have my mass value that allows me to find my force that the engines can the thrust that the engines can output and if you wanted to accelerate 90,000 metric tons at a rate of 105 meters per second squared that takes five 9.45 giga newtons of thrust that those three engines can output when they're just full tilt right okay great so going through all of these goofy values allows us to at least find what the thrust is from the ship and that allows us to find you know does the Star Destroyer or is the Star Destroyer able to be moved with that much thrust on it? So a little bit of analysis. I've got some images up here. Um, I'll try to just give a quick description of them uh, for those who are listening. Um, the next thing I wanted to find out was how far apart are the two Star Destroyers? So I just did a little bit of ratio of drawing some lines on some images that were right from the movie with a star destroyer being 1600 meters i did a ratio of a line and found that the star destroyers are actually very very close together uh according to the the images i have here they're about 250. i, I came up with a number of 252 meters apart from each other and from all the images it looks like they're uh basically they're the 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 backs and the noses of the star destroyers are in line with each other so they're basically just adjacent to each other by about 250 meters that may be a flaw with their formation we'll find out here in a little bit but 252 meters is about how far apart they are from each other so the moment that the corvette the hammerhead corvette hits the star destroyer i decided to call that time t is equal to zero because the both star destroyers are moving forward at the same velocity and they have no sideways velocity so we can call that time t is equal to zero and then i moved forward to find how many seconds it takes for the star destroyers to run into each other's and i found that that was 18 seconds so they have no sideways velocity or the persecutor has no sideways velocity at time t is equal to zero and then with that acceleration value or the thrust that i found um after 18 seconds the the other star destroyer makes contact so really what happens is one star destroyer has to 
travel 252 meters in 18 seconds. So this is all starting to boil down into like a physics one problem here, which is really convenient. 99% of this whole text section here was finding like reasonable values for all of this stuff. And then it's just forces equal to mass times acceleration after that. So <clears throat> I decided to go a little bit further and I downloaded a model for the hammerhead, um, Corvette and brought that into Fusion 360 and I angled it appropriately based off of uh, some of the angles that I found in uh, the, the scene such that I could find the appropriate tangential components of the force because the Hammerhead Corvette is not pushing directly towards the other Star Destroyer. It's actually tipped at a 5.8 degree angle away from it. So there's going to be a small portion of force pushing the Star Destroyer forward, but frankly, most of the force is going to be pushing the Star Destroyer towards the other one. I actually came up with a, a value of 0.994. So 0.994 times the, the, the thrust is what's going to be driving the Star Destroyer towards the other one. Okay, so all of that wrapped so, up. Now we're hey, ready to dumb, look at dumb, some results. Dumb question, just to make sure I'm following. So it's 5.8 degrees on the z-axis, like it's tilted, uh, bad example, down-ish? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 depending on your frame of reference, yes, uh, 5.8 degrees. But in, in the image that I have, the blue arrow is what's pushing the Star Destroyer towards the other Star Destroyer. In other words even though the hammerhead oh. is slightly at an angle, the majority of its force is going to be towards the other. I'm, I'm following. I'm following. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's take a look at the, the results of this. So if you take the thrust of the light maker and you multiply that times the, uh, the mass that we found for the persecutor, you end up with an acceleration of 0 0.408 meters per second squared. So that's all that it can really push it. Uh, and then from there, it's really easy to do half acceleration times time squared to see how many meters did the ship move in 18 seconds that I found. And I came up with a value of only 66 meters. So according to all the values that I came up with before, it given all of those thrust values and things like that, the light maker would have only pushed the Star Destroyer 66 meters, not the full 252 meters to, to do that. So once again, given those values, we're not reaching our target. But how long would it take at those thrust uh, values for it to actually make contact? Well, I, I calculated that. It would actually only take an extra 17 seconds for it to travel the full 252 uh, meters. So that could just be movie magic, you know, and, and, and you know, not cutting the whole uh, amount of time there. So a difference of 18 seconds versus 35 seconds, given those thrust values that I was uh, given there. So I'm going to chalk this up as totally feasible, totally possible, not dumb like episode eight. This is something that could actually happen and the numbers check out in, in my book. Now, if we wanted it to actually be in the 18 seconds and we just change one uh, variable, if the acceleration was 400 meters per second squared, it would complete that 252 meter gap in 18 seconds. But here's the thing. I don't think that the, I don't remember, the Intimidator, that was the name of the other Star Destroyer. I don't think the other Star Destroyer could make enough maneuvers in an additional 17 seconds to avoid 
the collision of the two. So 18 seconds versus 35 seconds. I'm going to call this thumbs up. It actually happened. Even if the numbers are slightly off that I did there, I think it's all within the realm of possibility. Realm of possibility Star Wars. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah, because the ship has to have nine and a half giganewtons of thrust. Whereas <laughs> if I remember force. right, I think I think the Saturn V had 30 million newtons of thrust something like that so i don't know how many saturn fives that would be but yeah in terms of in terms of values that were actually gathered from the movies themselves i think it's in line with what we've seen in the past i approve once again rogue one is an awesome movie and the math checks out so why would they design a Corvette like that though? Like, is it designed? It's like almost perfectly designed though to push Imperial Star Destroyer around. It's it's a battering ram, and for an unconventional maneuver, why would you design a ship that is really primed for conducting such an act? No. It's funny, my wife and I were talking about this last night. Also, why were Star Destroyers built with this nice little pocket that the head of a ship could fit in? And uh, like the, the, the head sinks perfectly into this angular portion. I'm sure someone has talked about this before, but I bet you those cutouts in the side of Star Destroyers weren't just there to make them look less like a triangle. They're probably, they probably have some kind of manufacturing reason yeah. like it holds the ship in space dock or something yeah like that. on a jig or something yeah, <laughs> yeah like a, a a thousand meter jig a big ass engine engine stand now there, there's there's two other things to mention about this um the 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 special effects crew whoever did it i i swear they must have a good grasp on physics because when when the corvette hits it doesn't actually hit in that pocket it first hits the side of the ship and it kind of skates off until it rams itself into that angular portion of the ship and then once they kick the the sublight drives into max the head of the corvette actually deforms into the the star destroyer the star destroyer like actually crumples at that point and you can see the back of the Corvette fishtail a bit, meaning that it's unstable and it hasn't found its home yet until until the the frame of the Star Destroyer finally just crumples into a position. Um, so I guess I guess the argument as of all of this is if you can shove or bully around a Star Destroyer, is that a viable option on things? Now only if it's disabled. The, the engines were disabled, though. But the, they seem to be... They seem to become disabled a lot, though, in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, they, they need to fire their reliability engineers. They're not doing a great job at rm and I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> and Admiral Radis, well, he had this idea. I mean, they were confident enough to sacrifice an entire ship and human lives uh with this maneuver so they were like yeah this will work for sure i I think it's more there is no defense against like an ion cannon like what 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 would you Uh, use against esd diodes (laughs) (laughs) faraday cages 
I, w- I was excited but with in that. In space, you have nothing to ground it to unless you had like a giant wire going down <laughs> the, the atmosphere and down to the planet. Hook it into a giant battery that just recharges. Yeah. So at Our, first I was thinking I, about using moments of inertia and how much it rotates and things like that. But I figured if I just did like basic physics, would that tell enough? And I think that those values told enough that it wasn't even necessary to go figure out what the moment of inertia of a star destroyer is. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. I mean, the fact that it was reasonable number, like, well, reasonable numbers for star Wars that we've talked about on yeah. this podcast. Um, yeah. That's refreshing. Good. Yeah, they 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 weren't like many orders of magnitude off. They were like two or three x off, which means that you know just some fudge in my numbers makes it work. No, and that's great because a lot of times like we do it and it works out. A lot of times we do it and we go, that's just <laughs> crazy. No, no. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. preview to what we found with Andor. <laughs> yeah, for the Andor manufacturing. <laughs> So before yeah, we... the, the same tech writers didn't transfer over to Andor. Yeah. That's, that's a slight preview. So before we get to Andor, we have Act Two to act out of the uh, Star Wars episode <laughs> chat GPT three Rebel Coburgers a Star Wars story. Oh, I am so into this. Okay, um, so everyone uh, bring up the script again. I pasted Act Two. It's almost well, you got like five paragraphs of lead up here. Yeah, like, yeah. I I mean, when are we going to start our own audio drama podcast? I mean, I can I can get the chatbot to do it. It, it took a couple hours cereal. to make Audible presents. Yeah, Audible presents. <laughs> oh, five okay. By the way, side Wars. note because we all I, I think we all use love Audible. Why is it that they? they beef themselves up on such amazing storytelling and they, they try to sell like series with great music and special effects intertwined. And then at the beginning and the end of an auto audible book, it goes, thank you for listening to audible yeah. in like eight Hertz audible, audio. Thanks you for listening. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, yeah. been, it's, it's like, like been played audible off of a cassette you tape. Enjoyed this program. Welcome to I feel bad for the person doing it. Like, what if his name is Audible? You know, and he's just like talks in the third person, you know. I'm just saying they have not put any investment into like, hey, we're gonna tie up this book and intro it. Let's not do it at eight kilohertz audio mono and be like, Audible, thanks you for enjoying this program. It's kind of the charm of it, I guess, at that point. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. Act two, Rebel Codebreaker's base, the control room. Hyron, Roz, Steven, and Chris Craft are sitting at their stations, looking focused, but there is an air of frantic determination that lingers in the room. Hyron is at the command console, overlooking the team and reading information on the hollow nets. Roz is in front of four ultra-wide monitors, scrolling through what seems endless gibberish and code. Steven is over in a cluttered corner, his desk hidden by mountains of what looks like to be junk and spare droid parts. Chris Kraft is leaning back in his chair, waiting for his recent code changes to compile. We're in. I'm accessing the Imperial database now. I'm searching for any information on the upcoming attack. 
Hmm. I might be able to slice into the analog hardware and access the transmission that way. The chatter on this line is starting to pick up. The Empire's becoming suspicious. We need to move quickly. I found it. The time and location of the attack. We need to alert the rebels right away. You're right, Chris. I'm sending the information to the rebel base now. The team works quickly and efficiently, using their skills in electrical engineering, software development, and hacking to decode the transmission and gather information on the Imperial attack. We've done it. The, the rebels have the information they need to prepare for the attack. That was a close call. The Empire's getting smarter. We need to be more careful. Agreed. But we're the rebel codebreakers. We can outsmart the Empire. The rebel codebreakers celebrate their successful mission and prepare for the next challenge, unaware of what the Empire was planning next. Like we have to keep saying that to remind ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it Rebel Code Breakers brought to you by Pepsi. The, and Doctor. My favorite thing is it came up with Code Breakers on its own because I said hackers. I said like Star Wars hackers, and it came up with Code Breakers, which is honestly a really it's, good name. No, 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 no. You mean Code Breakers? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it keeps wanting to use that word in the ch in the script all the time. I'm curious how open, like I showed you something where like GBD did something and I, and I corrected it and it was like, oh, thank you for the input. I will change that. And then from then on, it, 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 it learned from me and it corrected itself. When you try that as like, fuck you, I'm doing my own thing. We're using code breakers. No, no. I actually, when it said code breakers, I was like, that's a great name for the group. And it was like, and it was like, yes, we'll keep using that. Um, it it really liked to use this that line of the team works quickly and efficiently using their skills and blah 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 blah. It loved that line and would use it. I, so it was that was actually in the previous act and all the ac next acts. It used that line as well, and I removed it from. I'm like, we don't need that line four times. <laughs> um, it it doesn't oh, seem to have like its history on what it's outputting it doesn't really think too much about it likes to repeat itself the chatbot i'm a fan of the chatbot i'm not yeah. dinging it yeah i did write the it wrote the first sentence there where it's like sitting at their stations looking focused and error frantic determination i wrote the next four lines though that add a little more flair to the scene um, oh, it, did, it definitely did not come up with ultra wide monitors. Came did from. not. I I wrote that in. <laughs> um, because you definitely can find where it starts repeating itself. The bot does, and so it's a great starting point. But if you just pasted it, you could definitely tell it was like the bot was writing just everything. It doesn't really embellish. I guess it doesn't use a lot of adjectives. <laughs> all right shall we move on to the next topic yeah how okay so how are we gonna slice and die the dice this because Roz, craft and myself all lunged onto the same problem i guess start with the problem statement and then we'll let y'all so, argue about it 
for like an hour. Well, I don't think there's any argument. I mean, I worked with Tyron, so it's like the um, there's not going to be a disagreement. <laughs> the question that I, I think it's the same question that came to us was so when you watch Andor, they're building the widget, the whatever it is called, and um, and then the post credit scene shows where it's being used. And um, the thought that popped into my head was, well, how long it would it actually take to build enough of those things based upon the output? Because the output rate was a big deal in the episode, uh, trying to maintain the certain rate of production. And in my head, before I even did any math, I thought, it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be there's no way they would be able to finish enough in the history of all the Star Wars movies, or they'll finish in like a week and they'd be done. So what's with this prison where people are staying there for years and years and years? Um, and I started doing it, but then, like I said, we were, we were all working on the same problem. So most of the math had, and by the time I got involved, the math was for how many were needed was pretty much done. And I was mostly helping with figuring out like the details I have there, which is prisons, Narkina 5, he says unit 5, 2, D, 5 is the level, 2 is the room, D stands for day shift, he says there's 7 levels in a factory, 7 rooms on a level, 7 tables in a room, 7 men in a room, 7 men on a table, 49 men per unit, per, you know, whatever. So that tells you how many like people are in the factory. And then when our numbers started going a certain direction, I started scrubbing forward through the episodes in the, where they're getting out to see, because we started thinking, well, maybe only one floor is making one room is making that widget. So then I confirmed by watching, rewatching and watching scenes that the level below them is making the widget, the level above them is making that widget and the room on each side. So we know at least three to four levels. So it's fair assessment to say at least that whole factory is probably making the widget. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. Um, you know what? Just, just a sidebar to go top down. I mean, there, there's two parts to this. There is, what we should we should explain are, what this is though. So the widget yeah. they're talking about is in Andor. Their um, Andor is in the prison, and they're it's basically a, a concentration camp, and they're building a big triangle thing that's got like joints that move. Right. And then, I was gonna. I I put an upfront jargon is always important. A few times they called it a rack. Okay, I a rack. completely disagree with that, but they call them no, racks. No, 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 no. no the no, rack no. is the group a rack of is them. A group of seven oh. widgets. Yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong on that. If if I were to give it an appropriate name based on the structure of like a parabolic satellite dish, it would be a facet joint. When when you construct a curved object and you're putting in facets, which are the reflective facet faces of a uh, of a parabolic dish, which is like the super laser focused lens on a Star Destroyer, you technically would have facet joints 
bringing those facets together. They never call it that, but I, I was kind of like a uh, facet joint, but you're right. Yeah. The rack is the group. I misspoke. Yeah. So that's uh, what, and, and I'm going to interject real into. quick. The, these look very, very similar to uh, the mechanisms or the, the whole mechanism ends up looking like the James Webb telescope. And on the James yeah. Webb telescope, they call them actuators. Oh, actuators. Really? Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I but won't call it rack. any of it works. <laughs> I use the word, I use the word widgets. Widget. Oh, we'll, widgets. we'll know that they're producing widgets. And yeah. just to put it in context, in case people haven't seen the post credit scene or whatnot, I mean, throughout the last few episodes of the series, yes, the prisoners are producing this six or seven spiraled thing, this widget. They don't know what they're doing, but they're producing them out, you know, every two or three minutes. And in the post credit scene, you see in zero G like bots, droids, welding and taking these widgets and assembling a honeycomb structure, which is below the, the super surface of the super laser focus lens of the Death Star. It's like these golden honeycombs that um, you can imagine there's different systems on the surface of the Death Star or in their lens but it is right underneath. And sidebar, a really annoying effing thing, and I get why they do it, Disney Plus has DRM put in. So if you try to open up snipping or something to take a screenshot, it turns all black. And then you have to yeah. resort to YouTube with really low quality resolution, which means I couldn't import this and run software to count everything. I had to sit there with my Mark One eyeball and go, one, two, three. So my numbers could be off, but basically when I looked at those honeycombs in the, um, and I'll show a, let's see, can I, oh, I'm clicking on the wrong damn thing. Um, if you were to look at a picture like this where it's like, okay, here's the honeycombs pulling them together. Uh, and here's the widgets assembled the honeycombs. I tried to count how many widgets per honeycomb and ballpark when you do that there's about 280 widgets per honeycomb and i noticed that there's a different number of honeycombs per facet and when i say facet i'm referring to like if you can see my pointer this is the outer ring i called ring five there's a number of facets that go around there's ring four a different number of facets I called this ring 3.5 because this isn't actually a facet that gets populated. It is a facet used for structural support that attaches to this giant ring out here. And then you have ring three, ring two, ring one in the middle and ballpark. I was trying to put them together and be like, okay, so if they're about this size with 280 widgets per honeycomb and this many honeycombs per facet, how many honeycombs and then how many widgets? So grand total to make a um, super, laser, super laser focus lens panel is about 5.3 million widgets. I did not <laughs> assume they were used for the surface of the Star Destroyer because we've seen the Star Destroyer get torn up and we've never seen those gold flakes fly out anywhere. Um, 
it'll be good for follow-on discussion because I do believe these should have value somewhere else in the fleet, but um, let's just assume it's only used for the laser. So if you jump over to Wikipedia, um, we talk about the Narkina 5 prison complex. They expand and do the math and basically spell out there are seven cylinders in that prison and 4,900 prisoners per cylinder. So you have about 34,000 prisoners. Uh, we were messing with how many percentage of prisoners actually work on factory manufacturing. You can assume that, you know, one of them was a doctor. You know, maybe there's some of them that are doing facilities maintenance and whatnot, but I'll, I'll preview that it doesn't really matter. Um, that's why we gave him 99% of the prisoners are actually assembling racks. And then like he brought up, there's seven prisoners per team. And then if you multiply out how many cylinders and units and teams there are, you have about 40, about 5,000 rack teams. So how do we, how do we come up with 40, uh, 4,900 prisoners per prisoner cell or cylinder based on some, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Wikipedia. Mm. So bottom up and but top you can do down the math. at the beginning of the season episode eight when they get in there he's welcoming people in and he's like you are in um floor 52d there are you know we're on this floor there are seven si persons per team there are this yeah. many people here there's 49 people on this floor and then they keep giving all per the unit. information out so you know how yeah. many floors there are um Wikipedia took the time to total that up because there's seven of those cylinders in one prison and you actually get 34,000 potential capacity. It's not hard math because okay. there's, there's seven levels, seven rooms in a level, 49 men per room. So seven times seven times 49. I don't know if that adds up to... Yeah, when you do it across the number of floors and number of everything they're doing, it it seems like, wow, you have a large workforce. You have a large slave prison labor workforce there, right? Um, and I know they were trying to meet their mid-shift goals, and they're like, oh, I made 25, 23, but they talked about how they work 12-hour days. And so Craft Watch, and he's like, yeah, it takes them about two and a half, three minutes to make a widget. So building on the fact that they talked about that they do 12 hour shifts and then they do a shift change and the night shift comes on. Um, just one team uh, on a day shift can make 240 widgets in a day. But if you multiply that out through the entire prison, that means they can make uh, 1.1 million widgets in a day. <laughs> so, so if the Death Star... Yeah, if the Death Star only needs 5.3 million widgets, it only takes four and a half days. <laughs> <laughs> and that's assuming only one prison is making them. Yeah. Of the seven prisons or whatever it is. So, I mean, before we shoot our, our, our second scenario assumption in the foot, we were like, okay, there's a day shift and a night shift. And let's assume only that day shift and night shift is working on these widgets. Like maybe the other rooms, the other work units are working on different parts of the Star Destroyer. Um, how long would it take? It would take 
2.2 and a quarter years, which is, hey, that makes sense to have prison labor for something like that. Um, but when Kraft rewatched some of the, the the escape scene, what what were you finding? Like how many floors? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the at, at a minimum, the floor because there's a scene where water is leaking to the floor below them, and I, I I said jokingly like it's clearly the same set, and they just swapped the cast around. You know, like why would you build all kinds of different sets of them making the same you know part? But there's a scene where they show the floor below them because the water's leaking down from the ceiling. And then there's a scene where they run up the stairs and free a group and they're building the same thing. And then they run up another set of stairs and there's another group building the same thing. So on screen, I saw at least four floors building the widgets. Um, so, yeah. It, and And then when you get to the final or the scene where they show the control room, you can see on the wall panels... They have visual, and again, if it wasn't for the DRM, I'd have screenshots of this. Um, but they show the the like the like symbology of the manufacturing table, and it's like in the control room, and there's just it's just up there. So, like, what they just happen to be showing that one, well, or no, like it, it seems- makes sense though to only show that one um, because what if it's only like. Because it's like a, uh, the water leaked up and down. So it makes sense it's only just that one cylinder in the, that prison escaped. But if I do that, 714, 21, 28, and there's seven floors. Oh, let's just do seven times two times seven floors. Um, they would still complete it in 0.6 of a year. But you're building two Death Stars. Oh, Death Star two and, and yeah, Death Star two is bigger. Multiple. So yeah. Well, that was my only comment was that uh, well, I had a couple theories. One, they're planning to build a lot of Death Stars, which is unrealistic because they didn't have the parts and the Kyber two, crystals. That, you 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 don't have yeah. you have a limited supply of Kyber crystals to power that many Death Stars too. Yeah, if you blew up Jenna. And the other thought I had is maybe they have like a thousand percent wastage rate or something like that. Um, and um, QA sucks in the Empire. You know that, that that's, a, the that's other a decent point had, because they, we only see them manufacturing them. We don't see them testing them. I'm sure they they go to a completely different facility for testing. Yeah, <laughs> and and the other thought I had is maybe there's a loading dock with millions upon millions of these things just sitting there and no one's willing to cancel the contract because everyone's in each other's pockets, you know, and they just didn't want to. Oh yeah. We totally a, need a one billion of deal. these things. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we were sitting there like scratching our heads. Like I want to make this work. How and why could this work? And you know, when you start seeing like, wow, even the, even if it's one cylinder or the whole facility, like just the, the, the investment of retooling and training people, you don't want to do something that's going to complete in four days. You don't want to do something that's going to complete in one year or even half a year. Um, and so I was like, well, where do these have value? They have value in curved structures like the dish on the death star. 
and I started thinking like you, you bring up chunky structures, Stephen. Like most of the Imperial fleet are chunky structures. Other than a shield generator on a Star Destroyer, which is mostly a dome, you don't have round structures and honeycombs and facet joints uh, or actuators only have a benefit to that kind of round structure. So if they didn't show it being used in the Death Star, I could assume that that would make sense. But even though the Death Star never had gold um, honeycomb flakes blowing out, you would think they're not doing it. So I can't. Well, it would so, make sense that they would use an off-the-shelf part, right? Yeah, like something that's used in other designs, but, rather than coming up with something proprietary to just the Death Star for but, that. But but but, but the, it's not the, even the, the proprietary part. They built a facility and an entire process of ways. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. That now think about this. Palpatine or his underlings are wanting to do this off the books. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Like if you wanted to build a super weapon, you would use as many off the shelf parts as possible. So you could conceal what's going on. And the fact that this entire prison only had 84 prisoners, it's a good way to launder money because you're, you're using shock floors and whatnot, and you can funnel money into the production of, of widgets. But it doesn't make sense to produce something in that quantity that can't be used more than on a dish, but I can't see any other use. And if it was used other words, you wouldn't have a secret facility that's producing them. You would use your commercial production base to do it. I so thought I, um, when I first saw what they were making, I thought there were like 80, 80 joints for the legs and stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's, I thought that that's what they were going to end up being used for too, or something yeah. like that. And I mean, in retrospect, like, if I had been a technical um, consultant on it, whatever, I pr I would have said, although we've never seen anything like that in Star Wars, so that'd probably be worse. But I'd be like some kind of flexible manufacturing facility where the prisoners are just loading components in and taking components out, but don't have machines that are designed to make a specific part that if someone geek does the math, they'll find out you you would be done in a few days and like what do the prisoners just hang out while they uh while they um have downtime to retool it's it's it seems crazy to me yeah like logistically and business wise it does not make sense you would not do this from a like a dfm assembly perspective um oh I don't know who's sharing. If Parker's sharing this or Stephen's sharing. No, this. no, I, I'm I'm sharing this because because as you were talking about not seeing the gold flakes or whatever from things, it got oh, me thinking tell about. Me there's some. Well, no, 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 it got me thinking about episode nine, uh, where they 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 have the the crashed Death Star down on whatever planet that is. I don't remember, and I pulled up an image from it where it shows the dish portion of the the Death Star, and there's clearly some portion of it. But I like to I like to imagine that it's being harvested of uh, in some sort. That there are those dishes still available in there, and this is actually just some kind of wreckage that's eventually being recycled. Yeah, and. I'd have to go back on the fact that maybe they're only used for the super laser like dish portion because you want to 
mechanical. I, I don't know. You want to absorb and reflect heat. You wouldn't want to do that for the entire body of the Death Star. If it is gold or whatever appears to be gold, that would be too expensive to put around the entire body of the superstructure. So it makes sense around, hey, this is my weapon element. This is where a laser is coming out. I I'm going to shield this part because it's the hottest part. And I would use gold to do that. Um, but I, I just can't come up with a reasonable use in manufacturing for like, we're going to churn these out like so quick because they're barely used. And I'm curious well, what Roz came up with too. Well, well but, but, but to, uh, consider this, they don't explain how, what the service life is of any of those hexes. I would not be surprised if they lose tons of them every time they fire it. So maybe they need a massive oh. surplus of them such that they oh, get like, replaced um, on the regular. Like battleship barrels? Like, if yeah. you start looking at, okay. I don't know if people know this, but like battleship barrels only have like a couple hundred shots max before like tops. they toss before they get worn out. And how they got around that is they would undercharge most of their shots unless they, the, the, the rating they would give barrels is like, this is how many 100% shots you could do. Most time you, they were doing shore bombardments and they would, you know, only put 10% charge under uh, behind the behind the, I, I the mean, shell. That helps it make sense, but then it it's crazy to think, okay, Death Star fires a couple times. All right, let's go into a service availability. We're going to go in the shipyard and start ripping off the superstructure and replacing all the underneath facets and re-replacing them like but maybe that explains why the dish portion is a separate module. Oh, it just because pops they off showed that in Rogue One where it pops out. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what they were they're installing they're it. All we fired. They're installing remove, it. Yeah, replace and then yeah. refurbish the barrel, so to speak. <laughs> the barrel. That's <laughs> that's really a and, that, and that's why you can't have railings for the the technicians that are in that area. <laughs> you know, that's that's the only thing that makes sense because it's, it's like laser barrel fouling like, hey, this thing's too fouled up. We got to remove it, drop it a new one. Let's go. You're using corrosive lasers. The corrosive lasers. <laughs> By the way, do people mining kyber crystals get the green lung, the red lung? The green, green lung. lung? I don't know. Blue Jedi breath. Yeah, like Crab and I, we, we were like chatting last night and we're looking at this and we're like, we have the answer. I can't, from like a systems engineering point of view, I can't make sense of this. This is a poor systems engineering decision. You wouldn't do this. This is dumb. Like use a more off the shelf part. No, but um, well, actually, so Anna XR in our Twitch chat has a good suggestion though, is using the prison labor you hide how many you're building. That's why you're doing it. And if you need lots of these things, like if you're building replacement dishes, just so you can like fire your laser like 10 times, and then you have to go like swap it out for a new, you know, elements or like, or so the old one can get refurbished. Like you're going to need lots of them. Cause you're, you're planning to blow up a lot of planets. No, that, that and that <laughs> there's is a lot there. of rebellion and, to put down, and, and that kind of relates to I'm um, like you want to keep this off the books. You severely reduce your staff to literally 84 security guards in a prison for 34,000 people. 
Um, <laughs> now you're not paying people. You're using it to launder money to pay for materials to produce stuff. Uh, the, maybe the it's problem a good cover. with like you're saying overproducing you know, to cover the fact that you're making a super weapon. The, the problem with saying you need them for replacements is based upon our math. Like we said, within five days, if only one of the prisons is making that part, you have a Death Star's worth in five days. There were prisoners who had been there for hundreds and hundreds of days. They would have billions of yeah, those but things. But there's like billions of plants to blow up. <laughs> Maybe I can jump into my analysis here because it might give a different perspective. Go, on, yeah. on go for it because like, like, it. Jump I'm, in. I'm at we'll the point where I'm struggling and I'm like, I need I fresh ideas I, to accept this. I generally came to this same endpoint that you did that like it does not make economic sense to go through the steps that they went through. But it, let's, I'll, I'll run it. through it and it, it might be interesting. Do uh, it. Just, <laughs> just having... Like a different approach. Right? I love the fact that three different engineers jabbed at this, and we're like, "Gotta, gotta think of a a way to make this work." But technical sense, yes. Economic sense, I'm like, mm, no. All right. So some of this will PowerPoint, be I'm will be re- review, right? Because you you guys went over a lot of the high points. I'll still go over them anyways, just to make sure I don't miss anything. Um. So. I don't remember what episode it was specifically. I think episode seven. Um, Andor gets arrested for basically being in the wrong place at the wrong time for like up and looking suspicious. Gets sentenced to six years of hard labor on the Narkina Five Imperial Prison Complex. <laughs> uh, the complex is is made up of seven cylinders, which is the picture on the right. They're basically these hexagonal octagons. Tagonal, heptagonal, I don't, I'm not counting them. They're these, you know, structures that go down into the ocean. We'll get into the details on those in a second. Long story short, it's a work facility. It's forced labor using the prisoners as labor. Um, so Andor is basically assigned to a room that builds widgets. Um, we know a little bit about the present facility from. Kino Loy, who's played by Andy Serkis, who did really well. Uh, fantastic. Like a, Gollum. one of the, one of the highlights of, of, of this, of the series. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he, he states, as you guys already pointed out, when Andor first arrives, he gives the guy, like he reads him the riot act and basically says, don't screw my, my stuff up. I'm a short timer. I only have 200 something shifts left. You screw with me and, and I'll end you. And, and he says in, in season one, episode eight, Seven levels of factory, seven rooms per level, seven, seven tables per room, seven men each table. Then later on, spoiler alert, in episode 10, when they're staging the um, the riot and the breakout, he, you know, he gives this quote. My name is Kino Loy. I'm the day shift manager on level five. I'm speaking to you right now from the command center on level eight. Right now, the building is ours. So what we know is... Level eight's the top level. That's the command center. You see when Andor arrives, the command center's on the top level. So that means there, again, confirms that there's seven levels of work rooms, assumedly. Um, so the Narkina, Narkina 5 Imperial Prison Complex, as we already stated, is made up of seven of those, I'm going to call them cylinders, right? So 
seven cylinders, each with seven levels, each with those workrooms. So seven independent units we'll call cylinders that are all structured presumably the same way. You do the math. I came up with roughly the same numbers. You got 33,614 prisoners and 686 shift managers or roughly 34,000 and change total prisoners, give or take. Now that's at max capacity, which I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. That assumes the prison is at 100% population. This is what the room looks like. Long story short, we'll skip to the, to the, to the punchline. They're manufacturing these widgets that you see on the rack. They're those six armed kind of like starfish looking things. Um, take note of the scale. The guy standing next to it, that'll be important in a couple slides. Uh, you know, I would say they're roughly five to six feet, you know, maybe just a few roughly, you know, just shy of two meters across. That's foreshadowing for you. Um, and as has already been mentioned, as you see, post credits, last se- last episode of the season, they're parts for the Death Star. They don't tell you that. They're, they don't even discuss what they are. They don't even name them throughout the series. They're just building these things all, all series long. Um, now, some, some, you know, follow up data here in season. Senator one, has a question. Just talk. Go. Yeah, go. Okay. Season one, episode eight, <laughs> at 31 minutes and 31 seconds. Jim Bach, who is one of the guys at Andor- Andor's table, his table is currently leading the day shift and they're almost done with the day shift. He says, table three is off two. They're at 18. So that's the second place team is at 18 racks for the day. Table four is struggling. That's all he says. In a later episode, this, the shift ends, season one, episode nine. Kino Loy walks out onto the, the floor after the shift and states that table two takes the shift by six racks and three, which presumably means they, they have six additional racks plus three individual widgets. So a partial rack, if you will, over the second place team. So this gives us kind of a little bit of an idea of how many racks a table can produce within a day and it's somewhere in the range i'm guessing of about you know 15 to 20 and i say your your winning table your your high performers your top 10 percent they're in the about the 30 racks per table per day per shift right so there's two shifts so this table here kind of breaks out you can see on the left on the on the if you will y axis right there i've given you five different production levels let's call them so if we estimate the number of racks that a table can build i give you the stupid low estimate which is one rack right that's our like okay this is never going to happen but let's see what the numbers you know w- what the numbers show then you have a low estimate which is 10 racks per table which you probably have some strugglers and some people that you know, you know, tables that are shorthanded, tables that just can't figure it out. I'd say they produce 10 racks on the low side. Then you got your Goldilocks numbers, which is probably like your medium, like your median, your average table, the center of your bell curves, probably somewhere around 15. 
uh, uh, well-performing tables in the 20 racks a day range, and then your stupid high, your top performers, your absolute beasts are in that 30 range. Now, keep in mind, you know, Jim Box said that the second place table that was on their heels was at 18 racks and the shift was almost over. So 30 is probably overestimating. It's probably closer to 15 to 20 for most tables. And and that's why I say like 15 is that Goldilocks range. So I if you do your, the math, your breakdown on proficiency and productivity, this is awesome. <laughs> hey, there's there's always a bell curve when it comes to yeah. to operations, right? You've always got 85% of your staff falls within this the you know however many one or two standard deviations of the mean, you always have outliers on both ends. And from what I've experienced, the outliers on the high end, it's you can't even project what they're going to do. Those people are usually so much better at the job than the standard than the rest of the population that they could produce 50 racks a day potentially. It, it just they're outliers. Same is true on the other end. You've got people who just can't find their can't tell the difference between their their ass and a hole in the ground. And like one rack might not be unreasonable. Um, so I'm going to say 15 for Goldilocks, but I, I do all the, I do the math for all these ranges here in a second. If you multiply seven widgets per rack time, those different productivity levels. Uh, and then th- that gives you the number of widgets per table per shift per day. Right, multiplied times seven tables, two shifts, seven rooms per level, and then seven cylinders for the entire prison complex. On the stupid low end, again, at 100% prison capacity, assuming all seven cylinders are producing just this item, you've got 33,614 individual widgets on the low end, all the way up to just shy uh, or just over a million on the stupid high end. Your Goldilocks range, your median, 504,000 widgets per day coming out of this facility, assuming it's at max production. So that was about half no. of what Chris Craft and uh, Hyron came up with, right? I think th- I thought about doing a time motion study and looking at how long it takes them, but I couldn't find a clip that shows them start to finish, no breaks, no camera cuts, that showed, unless I missed it, and I, I might oh, have. No, I right. We, we assumed you're, even though it's unrealistic, you are busting ass, churning out a widget every two to three minutes for 12 hours. Obviously, Which they certainly make it seem that way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the discussion, yeah. They got to or they'll the, collapse. The one hesitation I had was when I rewatched it, when, when Ander goes to cut the pipe in the wall, Yeah, he says, I'm going for... This is my, like going for my walk. Yeah. He's going for his run, I think he said. Yeah, something like that. So, so they must have some kind of break. I mean, as an aside, I was commenting too. We were chatting back and forth, and I was saying 12 on, 12 off seems really generous for a prison, you know? Right. <laughs> like, like, I mean, it, it sucks. You know, it still sucks. Working a 12-hour shift sucks. But having 12 hours off after... Uh, uh, I mean, heck, I've worked that like at my right. at my actual job. Yeah. You know, like that wouldn't be a crazy day for me to have twelve. And if I had twelve off, 
Well, I, it, it just seems like like if they sleep for eight hours, what do they do for the other four hours? Do they like sit in those pods and chill and and um, it's what it seems like, right? They they eat, you know. Eat, like, they turn their the floors hose and drink from their water hose. <laughs> their food. Hose. They make yeah. the floors cold and they walk right into the workroom uh, on the episodes. I you know, for, as far as I could tell. I mean, um, they have showers, but they, yeah. they, those can't take too long. I mean, it so. is a prison after all. Like you don't want to spend too much time in the showers. Yeah, unless um, they have a really good library. I don't know. You know. Yeah, so I'm basing the rack number based on the dialogue that they had on, like, the winners of the shifts. There's only a couple of clips where they talk about it. Um, And I tried to parse those out, and I didn't... I guess my hearing is going. (laughs) I should have listened with headphones. Out of Because I I didn't pick up that they gave the quantity of rack. I I always heard them say, we're over by this or we're down by this. And I was like... Tell me what the total is, and then I'll that's, know. That's why so. I got the timestamp for that, because that's the only time I could find in all the episodes. I think there's three total episodes where they're actively doing work on the widgets. It's it's 8, 9, and 10, essentially. And 10 for half the episode, they're rioting and breaking out. And that's why I, I picked it. You know, He said that you know table 3 is off, is off 2. They're at 18, meaning that Andor's table is at 20 racks. Now, we're we're drawing some assumptions there, right? You know, they're off to what widgets racks. They're at 18 racks. You know, I, I'm assuming it's 20 racks. Uh, yeah. And, and then, my time studies were only from scenes where they were building it. So right. it's, although he was pretty in unsympathetic to anyone, not like he yells at Andor at that point because he's standing there. Yeah. Take when, a break. Yeah. Which it's not like there was anything for Andrew to do, but you know, he was, yeah. So now I will say, I agree with you. My numbers here based on their dialogue do not match the level of, you know, the, the time it seemed that it takes them to assemble one widget. It looks like they can bang those out in about two minutes. I think, I think you're right. I, I defaulted towards the bottom line that they were, you yeah, know, no, that's for I, I would have done the same thing if I had if I had ever heard the same if I had heard that line, I would have been like, I don't need to know how quick because he's saying how many they do in a ship. Yeah, so, right. And that's right. the yeah. general conflict we ran into. It's like if I actually time you watching you versus You should be base, doing a lot more. <laughs> base it on the dialogue, those don't match. Well, now, okay. I will say that one of the things that's funny, though, if you look at the actions they do to assemble one of these things, two minutes actually seems a lot more reasonable because they take the arms, they put a they put a central shaft through it, and then they all grab a big old impact wrench and hit the top of the thing and it's done. Throw it off their table, get yeah. another one. You know, yeah. it doesn't actually look terribly complex. To well, they assemble. laser, they, they cut grooves or something. They laser the sides like of the of the arms. That's the maker's mark. Yeah. They're putting I think the they're side. like welding the pins in or something. I, I don't know. Um, and then they they rotor rooter whatever the you know <laughs> in the middle or, yeah travel or it. lap the valve or whatever they're doing yeah. Um, they're reaming the hole to be the proper uh, size. Yeah. Okay. Um, now okay, so here here's where we get into some more jargon here, right? These widgets. Again, as we stated, or for the for that dome 
on the Death Star one where the laser shoots out, right? It's, it's a concave dome on the side of the Death Star. Now, um, I want to know how many widgets, just like you, it would take to, to build out the dome on the Death Star. I looked at the scenery and, and figured out that if you can kind of see each, each one of these widgets goes into like a central socket if you will, and it's surrounded by six equilateral triangles that all make up a hexagon. Uh, so I'm going to call that a micro panel. Each one of those little hexagons, you know, has that's made up of triangles with one widget in the middle. That's a micro panel, right? You can see the construction in both of these pictures here. You can see this, uh, the size of the, the socket. Now, if we said earlier that this was just shy of two meters, I'm going to round up and say that once it's installed in the socket, it's roughly two meters from the edge of this socket to the edge of, to the other edge of the socket. Okay. That's an estimation. Could be high, could be low. I kind of went conservative. Uh, all right. So sockets are installed in each of these panels. They're connected. They make up a micro micro hex or a micro panel then if you look at the pattern you can see that each one of these micro hex oh micro hexes you know it 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 butts up to another micro hex with a socket in the middle right so you can see that pattern kind of repeated and i spent a while like looking at this you know triangle to triangle with a with a socket on each side so you got triangle to triangle with a socket on each side with and DRM they kind of start to <laughs> right. Yep. I, I, I stole this from YouTube. So fidelity is not great. Um, so if you repeat this pattern out, they complete, a, 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 I guess extrapolated that pattern creates, I'm going to call a macro panel or a macro hex. So micro macro hexes are made up of a bunch of smaller micro hexes. I should have picked better terminology. Um, the other thing is you can actually count on this second row. The side of each hexagon has six widgets. So if you, you know, just repeat the pattern, you can get the number of widgets per mac my macro panel. And I count 269. I so you were I, at 280. You're, we're about we're yeah, about in the same ballpark. I, I was like, I, would say. I love that we're so close. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> pretty damn close. Um, the the cool thing is, is that because it's just a repeating pattern, and I know the length of one side. Assuming that it's a, a hexagon, like a true hexagon, I can just repeat the pattern and count the number of dots. Um, so 269 widgets per macro hex. So. You can see here they're being installed to make up the laser dish. Now, as I said before, from side to side, I said two meters for an installed Mac, uh, for an installed widget for its socket. Now I'm going from corner to corner here is what I'm saying is two meters based on this being just shy of, of two meters, you know, roughly two is, is what I'm coming up with. Then take a screenshot, count the pixels. I find that one socket is about 50 pixels wide. We look at 
you know, the height of the hex and the, the installed dim- dimensions and run things through a Google calculator, I come up with 25 pixels being roughly one meter and my fingers bumping all kinds of buttons. So 25 pixels, roughly one meter. Now, in in that same scene, I can see what the size of those triangles that make up the micro hexes are. I count 155 pixels. So we know that since they're equilateral triangles, they're roughly 6.2 meters on each side. So that allows us to calculate the size of a macro panel. And 16 triangles per side based on the pattern times 6.2 meters per triangle, you've got 99.2 meters per side of the hex. Multiply that out to get the surface area, you've got 25,567 square meters of total surface area per macro panel. Now, I went shotgun approach. I said that, all right, let's just say this is a concave dish and they're covering the entire surface area of that dish with these panels. Don't care. Like we're going to go conservative. We're going to go, we're going to club high and, and overshoot. And if it's less than that, then it's less than that. And, you know, we're just giving up with conservative estimate. So in studies that I, or studies, <laughs> in other work that I've seen people do. In the UCLA they Journal estimate, of Medicine for Death Stars. Right. They <laughs> estimate that, I've seen Death Star 1 estimated about 120 kilometers in diameter. Um, I went out and found, quote unquote, accurate Death Star plans, loaded them into Inkscape, scaled it down to 120 millimeters, and then found out the curve of the dish and basically laid everything out to where I could measure, all right, what's this, what's the diameter of the dish? What's the, I don't know, what's the word concavity of the dish, right? So I guess how far away is it from the, you know, the center of the sphere? What's the curvature and so on. And these are the numbers I get. It's, it's roughly 33.33 kilometers across in diameter and that kind of jives with there's only one or two other places that I could find where they tried to measure the size of that dish and I was seeing the number I found was 35 kilometers across so I'm feeling pretty good about my numbers at this point yeah Um, and then it's got a a radius if you will well a radius of what is that 69.4 69.4 divided by two. If you were to draw the curvature uh, of that dish, it would make up a circle that's 69.4 kilometers in diameter. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> do the math for a spherical cap. You're looking at roughly 915.71 square kilometers of total surface area for the Death Star 1 laser dish. So total surface area... Nine nine hundred fifteen and change square kilometers. You take that nine hundred fifteen square kilometers that we we just calculated. You go back a couple slides. You grab the total surface area for a macro hex. Divide the two, and that means you need thirty five thousand eight hundred sixteen macro hexes. That's the big pattern with two hundred sixty nine widgets per macro hex. What's the number? 9.634 million 
So 9.6 million widgets needed if you were going to cover that entire surface with macro hexes and you followed that pattern on each macro hex and there were 269 widgets per macro hex, you need 9.6 and Kino Loy's sweating it. So now we can now kind of figure out based on the productivity numbers we calculated earlier, based on how many widgets they're popping out and, and the, how many widgets are needed we can now look at our five ranges, stupid, low, low, Goldilocks, high, and stupid high. And we take those productivity numbers per day. We're looking at, on the low side, 287 days to complete one Death Star dish. On the high side, 10 days to complete the entire Death Star dish. So again, kind of getting to the same endpoint that you got to. Uh, like, why would you do this? Now, this is where questions start to come up. Like you've already asked, what if the prison's not at full capacity? Now, right. keep in mind they kept they were arresting people, like when they scooped up Andor and dropped him off. Like there's there's ships arriving. Um, you know, we saw seven cylinders when he was flying in on the planet. What if they're not occupied? What if they're under construction? What if only certain cylinders? are dedicated to this widget. There's a lot more questions than there are answers, right? But what if we just scale the occup the you know the productivity numbers based on that? So if we say at max capacity, which is the numbers we already calculated, you can see those two columns are the way on the right and then the days to delivery. Then if we go 75% capacity, 50% capacity and then 25% capacity for the prison. So we'll cut all the way to the stupid low estimate productivity numbers. And if it's only at 25% occupancy for the entire prison, you're looking at one, uh, 1,146 days to build the Death Star dish. So what is that? A little bit over three years. If I'm, if my math is right, um, all the way to the 10 days that we talked about, if you're at a hundred percent capacity. So, at the high end, it's taking three years to build a Death Star laser dish. At the like super, super fast end, 10 days. You can see the numbers in between, right? It, it goes pretty quick from 1,146 to 115 days. That's at 25% occupancy, but prisoners producing more than one rack a day. If they're, if they're doing just, I think it was five racks a day is what, what our, our low estimate was. Uh, and and they're kind of motivated because the slow table gets shocked each day. So. Exactly. You'd hope they're pumping out more than one. Otherwise they're, they're probably pretty miserable. They're probably I, all I getting just, shocked if they're doing that. I just love right. how though, like you took more, at, we, we started with the same approach. And while you looked at the surface area, we were looking more at the, at the widget production, the construction, yeah. yeah, but regardless, even when you look at the Goldilocks zone, economically it comes out to, I, oh hell, if this is taking two, two months, months to twenty days, like that's yeah. yeah. Regardless, <laughs> even if our our sway is five days, twenty days, forty days, anything less than a year is not economically feasible. For it it a would take them longer be, than that should be to build the facility. Yeah. To, to tool up the facility, yeah. I mean, even if the prison was already built and they were just retooling between things they're building, 
that retooling, it'd probably take 20 days just to get the okay from Imperial bureaucracy I, uh, to retool. We, we, me and Kraft were like joking about that. I was like, I wouldn't want all of the cylinders working on these because the, the retooling and training and ramp up time would cost so much. I would rather right. stretch it out and be like, you're working on these facet widgets. You're working on these things. You're working on Mauser, mousy toasters. You, you know, like you'd want to break right. it up enough. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I came up with some conclusions. Yeah. So, all right. Like any goods operations analyst for the empire, I had to come up with conclusions and recommendations. So <laughs> the empire needs to invest in robotic process automation. RPA has been used to automate other highly complex tasks, including cybernetic limb replacement surgery. See uh, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, widget production on Narkina 5 is low complexity, highly repetitive, and a prime candidate for use of droids to minimize costs and increase production output. Bottom line expenses, including housing overhead and the cost of caloric intake of the current facility employees, are avoidable costs and every effort should be made to reduce the impact to the hardworking Imperial citizens. Repo uh, RPA would eliminate the need for approximately 588 Imperial employees currently required to care for and motivate the facility's current employees. Motivate. RPA implementation would lead to a significantly reduced defect rate and an overall increase in output. So <clears throat> like why are there not, you know, robot machines welding these things and putting pins in. It's like a no brainer. You wouldn't have to kidnap people off of, you know, vacation planets to, to build your widgets. Uh, and it would probably be a lot cheaper, more efficient in the long run. You'd have fewer defects. You'd have, uh, you know, better output. It, it's, it, it's kind of a no brainer, especially because somebody already mentioned that like, you know, 20 years ago when the Republic was still around, they were building droid armies on automated assembly lines like this. No problem. This is much, much less complex. So much simpler task. I know why. Much more repeatable. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that feeds into Vader's dislike and fear of droids? Well, no, because they're using droids to assemble the dish in that end scene. No, the reason why is yes. because the company who is running this prison, a four- a most likely a for-profit prison is also the contractor to build these widgets. So they get to double Maybe dip even the contract contract the Death Star. Yeah, so they get to double so dip the labor. double dip the contract. Yeah, but but I guess my argument is is even then it's still more expensive to house, feed, you know, replace, give medical care to agree these employees than it is just automate the whole process yeah or it's or given more trouble than it's worth around time for what you need outsource to the geonosians who were designing and exactly building it in the first place like <laughs> exactly you could probably cut down on the number of facilities you need as well like you wouldn't need seven tables per so this is my thought on that is i think there's only one set of rooms so there's seven levels on that one. So seven levels and then one room on each level 
is building that widget. Nope. You see in the in the all the episodes that all the rooms connected to five two D, which is Andor's room, are building the same widget. Well, yeah, but that's up and, and down. That, nope. On the same level. You see up and down, but you also see then there's a scene wh- when they get up to the level and then they run down a hallway. Oh, and there's widgets down there? Okay, okay. We, yeah. we double it's in, we're double-checking that the... last night, and basically that entire prison complex in the Cars is building these widgets. Uh, we were hoping that it was only one cylinder or a select number of floors, but they blew that out. Yeah. The only thing you don't see, or you can't, I mean, everything's conjecture, but the only thing I saw like on screen was three levels, all the rooms on three levels. But when you see the control room shots, it looks like there's static displays that show the manufacturing stuff. So it seems like at least you have to assume that one cylinder is making a part. You you could argue we don't see the other cylinders, so we don't know what the maybe they aren't making that same part. But you have to assume. Well, you don't. That's have the to, implication. It seems logical that that a whole cylinder is making the same part. I'm going to view this as though it's a, the contractor's double dipping, and he's got all these prisoners, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to have them build this stuff too because I don't want to invest in robots to build this part. It might be. I cheaper. think the cost-benefit analysis on that would still show that robots are cheaper. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That that's my argument. You know. No. So they're, but but that doesn't mean that they're not an inept manager of their facility. <laughs> because re- think, I mean, it's not just the. I mean, it's not just the feeding them, and they said that they're fed well. They get to eat and drink as much as they want. But also that whole security system and then the staff to maintain the security system. Like you have staff there whose whole purpose is just security. Whereas if you had droids, you just have a few engineers, maintenance people, and that's it. You don't need this like massive staff of security people, which, you know. And and then you don't need whatever. But I'm just saying is you already have the personnel. So. And you already have to feed them because they're, they're prisoners. So they, you have to feed them. You have to clothe them. You have to take care of them. But it's like a song. N- you have 12 hours of their labor that you can use to go build something else now. <laughs> Cogs. <laughs> it's not so, like so, it's not like one and then the other. It's both of them at the same time. So it, may, it actually, in my opinion, it does make sense from a, you know, if it's if it's one contractor double dipping on two contracts. It makes sense in that regard. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look at the numbers, but I th- are only useful for curved or round objects when you're connecting those honeycomb style plates. And it's a unit task. Death Star or curved things. Oh, or I got like it. Shield generators. There is because everything is so straight and chunky in the design of the Imperial fleet you don't have many things which benefit from having that kind of facet joint from but you're um, you're talking about the shield objects. generators right on on star destroyers they have those little balls that are the shield yeah. generators on yeah. that thing i actually took a look but, but, and they're different their facets are different oh, really? they're four-sided <laughs> and they yeah, probably don't okay. need to change shape at the same time yeah but you can just use the same part because guess what in episode yeah. 9 they have like 10,000 star destroyers 
<laughs> yeah, no, the facets are like diamond shaped in the in the. I did look at it because I I grabbed the screenshot and uh, or I I looked at it and if you look at the shape of it, it's like they're diamond shaped basically. So they have like four sides. I, I, not, not I think I'm going to stick so to my theory. Maybe a lot of these are getting shipped off to Exegol to like, hey, we need these too. <laughs> so I, I can just imagine back when we were talking about buying these things off the shelf, you know, like the uh, the Empire is buying them from Actuators R Us and Actuators R Us hears that, you know, an entire planet has been destroyed by a laser and they're like, what's the only thing that could have that happen if there's like five to nine you know million actuators sold and they go look up their sales orders and there's only one buyer of five to nine million actuators <laughs> and it's the empire it's like oh shit oh <laughs> but you also so, you got to think about this though accomplices no, and hold on, hold on. Let's, let's back up a little more so one that they probably have have replacement parts okay absolutely yeah Okay. That's recent. And I think That's they replaced the entire laser as a module. The whole thing sockets out and plugs back in. How many do they need? Well, depends on how many rebel plants you need to blow up. But <laughs> but one thing worth forgetting about is Star Killer Base. I, I don't know if that was Which is an even actual, bigger laser. But we, we but, but that, that, that thing that. works on a different principle. Plan at five BBY. Is well, they clearly was probably building like, plan in progress at that point in time. Well, they were building De- uh, Death Star two at that point too. Well, and so even still, though, like and Star Killer Base was max... being constructed at that point. By the way, but Star Killer Base works on a completely different principle. Ah, uh, they probably use facets for some reason in there uh you're, you're, even if they did i you're bet stretching there <laughs> i bet the prison in in three months could produce enough that, yeah i know, I know. Yeah. yeah yeah maybe they're playing this so like a thousand of these things wait what if star killer hey. base was hollow and they had to fill the entire planet with these actuators then it's about the only way this makes sense yeah, yeah. right so the last yeah. recommendation would be that uh, if they're not going to install robotic process automation, they need to develop and implement a comprehensive employee onboarding plan. Uh, current training and onboarding, while somewhat effective, consists of peer-to-peer training and job shadowing and does not fully prepare employees for a meaningful career on Narkina 5. Uh, they basically just throw Andor in the room. They don't give him any instructions. They don't tell him what they're building. They don't tell him how to build it. He just walks up to the table and they're like, get to work. Like, uh, what? what? Like, so he needs that, you're, 30 you're hours asking, of computer-based training, right? You're, yeah, he needs safety Modules. training. He needs cultural sensitivity training. Uh, he needs... Uh, Haswalker. You know, uh, identifiable personal information training. Like, he can't be sending emails with people's socials in it and stuff, right? So he's got... Violence be, in the workplace training. Exactly. Exactly. Microaggressions, all this stuff. Um. <laughs> And then the last bullet point here, and then I'm done. Based on recent employee feedback, job satisfaction has been identified as a key area for improvement. Uh, Additional cross-training and socialization of the broad number of career paths available to our employees on Arkina 5 would enhance retention and minimize costly unplanned turnover. Like the dude getting a stroke? 
Yeah. Like the like, whole thing like, getting overrun. Like 4,000 <laughs> prisoners <laughs> jumping over the side. That, that's true. <laughs> Do they have a retention problem when they're prisoners? <laughs> When, they, when there's only 86 guards trying to keep 4,800 in check, I would imagine retention can be an issue. Yeah. They thought they had it under control. Everyone well, does Andy until they don't. It. Hey, put that back in context. 84 guards, 34,000 prisoners. That's a lot. Also, yeah. also, in the scene when they're shooting their blaster pistols, that guy's not pulling the trigger as fast as he could. Not motivated. Well, they <laughs> no, seemed hesitant motivated. to even start firing because, like, like they kept yelling at him. Like the guy had a gun. People are rioting, and, and he was like, "Stop, stop, stop!" And then finally, he starts shooting. It's like you probably should have start out started with the shooting or whatever. Yeah, that's why it makes me think that Parker's right that it's a private prison, right? Like these are these are corporate employees assigned to guard these prisoners. These aren't like. Military police, or yeah. like the only thing is that he says imperial facility, and the guy, like the, the one chief guy, not the guy running it up in the in the in the on the eighth level, but the guy who they meet who seems to be enjoying his job too much, he has like an imperial cap, like it's got the imperial symbol. I mean, on I bet you the contractors that work for NASA have a hat that has NASA on it. Hey. Hats improve employee retention. Free hat. Yeah, and if you think yeah, about it, the CIA the had Empire, black sites run by contractors, so the Empire seems like the kind of place that would care about like people wearing hats if they're not in the Empire. Like you know, are not no. Empire officers. I, I think they have fans. <laughs> fans, but I don't think they would they would they wouldn't be cool with someone like wearing a uniform. If it was like a trucker mm-hmm. hat with the imperial symbol on it, they'd yeah. be okay with that. But not the little like cap thing that they all wear. They have. They have I'd have to look at the shot. I think it was on flaps that say uh, "I stop for stormtroopers." Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be on Wikipedia where it shows the the guy who runs the or not. Yeah, the like the the top because there seems to be a technical group and those guys might have been wearing gray or white and gray or something like that. Then there were the, like the orientation, and the guy was all in black and and um, threatened them with the shocking. So long story short, if I was a rebel officer, Narkina Five is either producing something other than widgets, or they're highly inefficient and really bad business people. Because oh no, they're really good business people because they sold the. Empire a billion widgets and they only need like they are three million burning of them. money like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, but we well, just that determined was... that it's an imperial facility, so it's an in-house job. It's all burning money though. It's burning material. Well, well, yeah. The other, the other thought I had, which I, I mentioned last night, was that at this point in the timeline, that um, Jen or so, or no, the 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 person who designed the the laser the. Oh, um, Galen or so. Galen yeah. or yeah, yeah. Galen's still like there, so maybe yeah. he like is screwing up orders on purpose mm. just to slow down it's everything. Like, you know. Well, you know, in totalitarian governments, uh, corruption and waste is a pretty like rampant problem, right? Like 
you don't want to be the guy who delayed the Death Star, right? <laughs> so, so when you're the, just gonna when the lead designer yeah, says twenty days, we'll build nine million. I don't care. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, hey, so at we, the yeah, same when time, the lead designer the, says they need a lot, like they need ten billion of them. Who the guy's going like, yeah, sign it off. <laughs> this is the emperor's number one pet project. Like it you're gonna overdo years. that, right? Right. Yeah. And you know what? All the members of the Imperial Senate are sitting there going like, we're being taxed too much. We're tired of paying all this money to the Empire. Here's where it's going. At least one of the many places it's going. There's an entire warehouse on some moon somewhere just full of these damn widgets (laughs) that will never be used. That's that would be an awesome like so in in Indiana Jones four at the beginning of it where like they're uh, going through like the Area fifty one warehouse and they crash into the the box and like there's the Ark of the Covenant in there that's gonna be like in ten years is gonna be a Star Wars movie and they like bump into a crate and it's like a rack of these widgets in there <laughs> they just fall out <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys came up with similar numbers that that you know in the yeah. same within the same order of magnitude agree with each other. Two different yeah. ways yeah. of coming up with both different numbers: what yep, the production the is answer. and how many you needed. And Two the different ways where they the got same, the same the result, Empire which was it's a waste of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there was just one other scene in Andor that I thought about, but I don't think there was enough information there, which is when the whole craft is in the tractor beam and he hits the engines and you see everyone on the cruiser suddenly lurch forward and i thought man that thing must have a lot of power like similar to your you know conversation about the hammerhead and um but this is just a little the whole craft like although there's something special about it because it's like it seems capable of things i've not seen he's got nos He's got lightsabers yeah. that poke out the side of his ship. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, like, maybe you could, if you knew the weight of the cruiser and how much they moved, you might be able to, like, figure out the force that he was able to exert. But um, I, I, I there wasn't enough stuff there for it to just be, like, 100% conjecture. Sure. But I thought that was impressive that he was literally able to pull them forward with his little ship. Yeah, was has that ever happened in? I don't. Has the Millennium Falcon ever been pulled in with a tractor beam? Yeah, to the but Death not Star. the Death Star. Yeah, the first, <laughs> Death Star, the, it happens, but the, not like a is it a Star yeah. Destroyer? I don't think uh, so. I, I don't. No, think but the only, the, but they pull Carillion Corvette in right in in the opening scene of yeah yeah they pull the Corvette four, in. They, but I'm saying yeah. it's like something that would. If we're assuming this ship is like super special, so it has a lot of force in its engines, there's there's got to be a mass ratio. Yeah, so of, of like Millennium what, Falcon what is, is something from historical Star Wars that would weight, have a lot of force. Weight to thrust ratio. So, but we never seen a Millennium Falcon get sucked in by a star destroyer with a tractor beam. No. Yeah, but if a star destroyer can suck in a Carillion Corvette. I would assume a Carillion Corvette has more thrust than the Millennium Falcon. It's got like 15 engines on the, on the Giga Newtons. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have to save that for next year's Star Wars topic to I break like down. And, and I did like the, the using the tractor beam against itself as a weapon. So oh, I thought that sucked was cool. in the flak. 
Oh, I, I love this, like, uh, you know, beehive chaff that he shot <laughs> out the back. Just ab- yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's what I was saying is, like, it literally uses the tractor beam. The tractor beam's pulling them back. Yeah. So that's why, at least the theories I've read is he kicks the engines up so that they'll increase the tractor beam because then that'll give it the force that when he releases the flechettes or whatever they are, that'll pull them back pull them in, in with enough force to destroy the dish that is running the tractor beam. So That's, that's like a good point. Super cool. Well, before uh, we're starting to start doing the miscellaneous stuff um, that we want to talk talking about uh, on this podcast. So we have act three of the Star Wars episode. What is it again? Uh, episode chat GPT three rebel code breakers, a star Wars story. Um, before we jump into that, does anyone need to go to the bathroom or we, I need to no, I, w- I will just say that it's past midnight where I'm at. So if we can get this train over the, over We're the hill, there. that would be nice. We're getting there. I'll okay. power through, but we can put, yeah. Actually, actually, on that, let's uh, we can skip the uh, miscellaneous part, Ross, and just do Act Three and Act Four. Would that work? Yeah, I'm I'm down for. I mean, if I don't want to skip over anything, no, the miscellaneous stuff is cut out. Anybody's just random stuff we want to talk about. It's not anyone's in particular. The only thing in that I could see, and, and I think we. All agree, anyways, is how dumb the hydropower was on that. Prison. Ooh, we'll <laughs> save that. We'll we'll save that for for bullshitting. Yeah. No no shoes, no PPE. <laughs> yeah, that's that was my big thing. Uh, There's not an eyeglass anywhere. It, yeah. Like they're moving those big heavy carts around, and like they don't have any shoes on, and my toes are just like cringing if that cart just even bumped your toe <laughs> big ass caster roll over your toe yeah. okay rebel codebreaker's base control room Hyron, Roz, Steven and Chris Craft are sitting at their computer stations working on their latest mission suddenly the alarm goes off and the room is filled with flashing red lights Warner attack imperial forces are trying to infiltrate our base and they've launched a counter attack uh, I, I, I'm detecting multiple breaches in our security system. They're trying to hack our database. It's a coordinated attack. They must have sent the best hackers and code breakers. We need to act fast. I'm implementing new security measures to defend against the attack. The rebel code breakers work quickly to defend against the Imperial attack. We're holding them off, but they're not giving up. They're determined to disable our operations. We need to come up with a plan. We can't keep defending against their attacks indefinitely. Agreed. We need to take the fight to them. We need to launch a counterattack. But the Imperial attack... (laughs) The Imperial hackers are getting close. We need to act fast. We can do this, Hyron. We're the Rebel Codebreakers. (laughs) The scene ends with the Rebel Codebreakers huddling together to plan their next move. Will they be able to overcome their challenges and emerge victorious against the Empire? Or will they succumb to the overwhelming power of the Empire? The audience will have to wait until the end of the movie to find out. 
Either Hyron's really doubtful of our capabilities and has to be constantly reminded that we're the rebel codebreakers and we can do well, this. I, and or, it said we're the rebel codebreaker. Not plural. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I made it codebreakers when I read it. On, on the edge. It's an either or, right? So really only one of us is the codebreaker. Everyone else is a spy, I guess. Or you're just like, you got amnesia or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I blame these. That will do it every yeah. time. Act four. Rebel Codebreakers base. Juice. Control room. Hyron, Roz, Steven, and Chris Craft are sitting at their computer stations looking exhausted but determined. Hyron addresses the crew. The Imperial attack is getting stronger. We're running out of time. Roz is frantically copy and pasting spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm trying to hack into their database and access their plans, but their security is too tight. Steven is looking at a schematic of the Imperial Security Bureau's hardware. I could try to slice into the analog hardware, but it's risky. If they catch me, they'll be able to trace the signal back to our base. Chris, looking over the Steven's shoulder. We need to make a decision... Hi, Ron. We can't keep fighting like this. The Empire is too strong. You're right, Chris. We need to make a difficult decision. Yeah, we can either continue to fight knowing that we could be captured or killed by the Empire, or we can retreat and regroup, hoping to come up with a new plan to defeat the Empire. Mm, But if we retreat, the rebellion could be crushed. We can't let that happen. We won't let that happen. We're the rebel code breakers. We will not be defeated. The sound of blaster fire and explosions can be heard from outside the control room. Pew, 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 pew. (laughs) Wipe the drives now. We can't let the Alliance data fall into the hands of the Empire. The crew starts wiping the terminals and destroying hardware. Suddenly, the door of the control room bursts open and Darth Vader enters, wielding his lightsaber. Oh, shit. The rebel codebreakers are shocked and terrified to see the legendary (laughs) Sith Lord in person. So who wants to do Darth Vader? Who's got a good Darth Vader voice? I I can try. I I don't have a Darth Vader voice. So I can then do it. It's you. You are no match for the power of the dark side. Surrender now and your deaths will be quick and painless. You may have defeated us, but you will not defeat the rebellion. How unfortunate. Before he finishes the sentence, Vader force chokes Hyron and suffocates Hyron with the power of the dark side. The crew tries to attack Vader, but the Sith Lord is too powerful. Vader uses the force to lift server racks and consoles and throws them at Roz and Chris Craft, crushing them. Steven gets within striking distance of Vader, but the crackling sound of a red lightsaber ends Steven's life. With his last breath, Hyron says... Rebel codebreakers will always fight for freedom and justice. <laughs> <laughs> and not anymore. Darth Vader <laughs> drops Hyron's lifeless body, signaling the end of the rebel codebreakers and a victory for the Empire. An Imperial technician enters and steps over Steven's still smoldering body and looks at the closest terminal. <laughs> Why is I it smoldering? I got this. <laughs> Lord Vader, it appears that the rebels have deleted everything. There are no leads to the rebellion's secret bases here. 
Darth Vader clutches his lightsaber tighter. You think you have won, Rebels? You think you have deleted the data, but you will never defeat the Empire. You have no choice for the Emperor or the Dark Side. I will prevail. End scene. End scene, yeah. Amazing. I he just wants the Wi-Fi <laughs> password, guys. Come on. Uh, he force pushes server racks at us. This is awesome. And so horrible. Yeah. Uh, man, I can't believe five computer hackers couldn't stand up against a Sith Lord. <laughs> By the way, I think the name of this episode should be We're the Rebel Codebreakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a good one. They just like to make decisions though. Like that's that's what they talk about. We need to make a decision. Yeah. Well, we can retreat and make a decision. I, it was really hard sure to get this. it to. It was really hard to get Chat GPT to like actually make make, make decision. decisions. <laughs> and so I had to keep feeding it and stuff and be like, "Well, what if they would do like?" Because it would give you some options. Like they could do this and they could do that and that. I'm like, "Okay, let's do this." And then it basically it would spit out the same thing again, just with slightly different words. And you're like, "No, like let's change the scenario." And then once I finally like, I'm like, okay, like let's just make them die, and and it was like, oh yeah, Darth Vader shows up, and I'm like, okay, let's run with that. <laughs> I was about to ask if you chose that. No, so it, it suggested Darth we Vader might show up. Vader needed to take care of us. Yeah, <laughs> it, it suggested Darth Vader might show up, and I'm like, let's run with that. Let's go for it. All right, we made Vader's hit list. <laughs> Apparently, no, his lightsaber made Two me a from now, mess. Yeah. So the Two years from now, the there'll be a new Disney series about uh, the Rebel Codebreakers. The Rebel Codebreakers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you just wait. In a year, we're going to see Disney like announce something just called like Codebreakers as a new show that's coming out. We're already preditioning. Preditioning. Uh, yeah. I, uh, there's, a, there's a not XOR in there. It's... it's it's a gr- chat GTP. Basically, what I learned is a great tool to spark ideas, but you can't let it just, it, it will not build you new stuff. Can't play unsupervised. No. It, it doesn't understand, well, which is, I mean, it's remarkable. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I still find it remarkable, but it, it doesn't understand. Cause like, even in the script, like how I go from saying, yeah, we can do it. And then also in the next one, I'm like, oh, we're dead. What are we going to do? You know, and it's like, wait, <laughs> I was just the scene before I was the one. And then in the scene before that, someone else was cheering on. And then in the next scene, they're the ones going, what are we going to do? It's like, wait, no, the it's like the, the personalities don't flip flop around like that. So it, it, what it tries, at least when you're asking to build scripts like this, it's trying to build like, a minor conflict that resolves but like leaves it up to like in the next episode blah 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 or blah 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 you know um i, c- I couldn't get yeah. it to not well, you should have that. left it you should have left it at the cliffhanger and then they would have had to come to the next oh, yeah. i'm just saying <laughs> in, in a year hesitate on pitching this in netflix yeah <laughs> code breakers. um 
a rebel story. Now, do They're I They're just have... in the control room every episode just talking back and forth about, should we do this? What should we do? And making decisions. And making decisions. Now, did and I, at the end of every episode, they're all like, we're the code breakers. Yeah. <laughs> now, did I save the Darth, uh, Darth Jar Jar? Did I send that to That me? one what? was hilarious. From, yeah. from the last episode, Parker, the, the whole idea for what we did tonight was based off of last week parker had it just write a general story that was like two or three paragraphs long and it and it just by itself i think you just said write a star wars story and it came up with a darth jar jar oh yeah yeah so i'll actually so to sign this off i'm going to read star wars the far the fall of jar jar a four act series i guess the story begins on the planet Coruscant, where Jar Jar Binks has become a member of the Galactic Senate. Despite his initial bumbling and unpopularity, Jar Jar has risen through the ranks and become a respected and influential figure. However, a deep secret lurks beneath the surface. Jar Jar has been secretly training as a Sith apprentice under the guidance of Darth Sidious. Jar Jar's true ally, uh, allegiance is unknown to the public, and he uses his position to gain access to valuable information and resources for the Sith. Act 2. As the Clone Wars rage on, Jar Jar becomes an increasingly valuable asset to the Sith, carrying out covert missions and sabotaging Republic efforts. However, his loyalty to the Sith is tested when he is assigned to eliminate a group of Jedi, including some of his former friends and allies. Jar Jar is torn between his loyalty to the Sith and his conscience and begins to question the path he has chosen. Act 3. Jar Jar's doubts and inner turmoil come to a head when he is confronted by his former friend and mentor, Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon, who has been brought back from the dead by the Force, attempts to reach out to Jar Jar and help him turn away from the dark side. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's... <laughs> <laughs> comes back, comes back for the dead. dead. Doesn't know where the force ghost yeah. is. In a moment of weakness, Jar Jar reveals his true identity to Qui Gon, who is shocked and sudden saddened by his betrayal. Act four: the rele uh, revelation of Jar Jar's true allegiance sparks a fierce battle between the Jedi and the Sith, which Jar Jar is caught in the middle of. In the end. Jar Jar is unable to overcome his inner darkness and is killed by Qui-Gon in a final lightsaber duel. The story ends with a somber reflection of the dangers of temptation and the consequences of betrayal. That is 100% written by ChatGPT3, and I think my prompt was write a Star Wars story about uh, Jar Jar as a Sith Lord. That was the prompt, and it did all that. So it's great for writing synopsises like that, like overviews. Yeah. It is yeah. not really good at writing scripts because it just writes the same script over and over and over again. <laughs> well, yeah, I did that. Um, not to drag it out, but like I sent you, Parker, that sample because we were talking about SEO last, or you were talking about SEO last week. And I made up a fake part number and then I told chat BT, whatever, I told it to write an article 
about it being used in a project and include the part number several times, I said, in it as prompts. And it wrote like a three, four paragraph article blog. It read like a blog post about how I built this thing and it, I used the part and it worked great and it especially was helpful for this. And it mentioned the part number like four or five times. And you read it and you'd be like, I couldn't be sure that a machine wrote that. And it, so if you wanted to, you could just have, I could have fed it real part numbers like, I could have looked up a part off of Mauser and just threw it at it, but I wanted to see what it would do with something that I completely made up, like that didn't exist. So it's kind of amazing. So yeah, here's to another year of Star Wars. I don't know what's coming, but... Yeah, what's next? (laughs) No idea. I have no idea, actually. I guess more... Oh, Mando season three. More Mando, which yeah. I'm okay with. Yeah. Space Western. Can't go wrong. Yep. All right. That's uh, okay. It, it's always weird to end these. So we'll just. Well, I think that's, I think that's a good, uh, good place. So with that, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast Star Wars special. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman with Hyron Roz. Roz. Chris Kraft. Take it easy.